What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bets and Banter. My name is Liam, and I pick fights each and every week on this channel. And on Bets and Banter, we go over our final looks for the show, how we're feeling about the betting slate that's upcoming. And today we're talking in particular about UFC Vegas 77. And we've got Holly Holm taking on Myra Bueno Silva in the main event of the evening. Myra Bueno Silva looking to take that step up in competition here on the strength of a three-fight win streak. Holly Holm, on the other hand, looking to cement herself as a potential title challenger. And who do we have to break down this card with us to dig through what is otherwise a little bit lackluster of a UFC event? we got two great guests. we got two guys that are very sharp, proven, betters, third-party track. So without further ado, let's get into the action with Pepe Silvia. You know him, you love him, returning friend of the show. He's back once again. My brother, how are you? What up, Liam? Thanks for having me on again. It's actually kind of funny. I like you and I haven't broke down a card in a while. And I think the last one we broke down was um Holly Holm versus uh Catlin Vieira. Oh, that's great, dude. I because know. We did very well, I believe, on that card. And uh, yeah, Kathleen Vieira shipped it for the boys. She stopped Brazilian hate that night. I know that was a big theme of the show. So mm -hmm. absolutely, man. Good to have you back. And something about Holly Holm, it just felt appropriate, right? Yeah, thanks, man. Love it. And without further ado, he's becoming a recurring guest on this Bets and Banter stream. The Jewish better back in the building once again. He said he was getting back on the horse. He got DDP across the finish line. People were coming after us in the comment section, but we stood tall. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I can't complain. And and you know what? We got in this one, we got the preacher's daughter versus MBS. But I don't got time for BS on this card, baby. So uh, you know, a lot of people saying this may not be the best card, but regardless, I'm still gonna try and find the value. There there's gotta be something somewhere. And uh, any UFC card for me is a good one because I get to get some money down. And at the end of the day, for me, that's what matters. So let's go. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, brother. This is a business. People forget. We're here to make some money. You know, we're going to watch the fights one way or the other, right? They're putting on the fight card on a Saturday. So let's roll. Let's try and make the most of it. And we've got something very good to start us off. You know, we got Aylin Perez making the comeback, right? Uh, and Aylin Perez is the exact archetype of a fighter I like to get behind. Everybody hates him. Everybody thinks they suck. Everybody wants to root against him. And obviously in this spot, the market has changed its mind, right? Because she's coming in here as a big favorite. But the last time out, she was a massive underdog. I was part of the movement that pushed that line down a little bit because I just thought it was a, a little bit uh, too generous on the Egger side. I was like, if this fight stays upright, I feel like Egger's is going to get lit up. But of course, it's WMMA. Eventually, it made its way to the ground, and she ends up getting finished in that spot. But she offered some resistance, and she has since realized, okay, it's time for me to you know, improve my skills. She's training at MMA Masters. She looks like she's in very good shape in this fight. And so when she's training with a Temba Karimbo and with a Colby Covington, I think she's going to show some signs of improvement. On the other side, Ashley Evans-Smith, doing the OnlyFans deal, hasn't fought in several years, doesn't really seem like she's been taking it all that serious. So for me, going to be a uh, favorite or pass situation here. Not going to be laying this money line price, but do think I'll be looking at the uh, the prices on props when they open up on domestics. Last I had checked, no props here uh, for the domestic side of things, but I'm going to be waiting to see what we can uh, get on that side because I do think she's going to finish this fight, as a matter of fact. What do you think about this one, Pepe? Uh, glad to have you break this one down, brother. Yeah, man. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I bet on Perez in her last fight too against Zagger and it turned out to be 
not the greatest uh, spot. Um, but I I took I took a little Ashley Evan Smith plus three fifty when it first opened up. That just seemed stupid wide. And you know, if you look at how she's been priced, like historically, she's never been this big of an underdog. She's been a favorite in most of her UFC matchups. And like I get it, it's like not it's not an easy click because she's just she's so bad. But she has I she does have a win condition, I think, um, through wrestling. If she's I don't know if she's gonna be able to hold her down, but if she's able to get some takedowns and get some top time, um, you know, she was competitive with Dumont. I just thought plus three fifty was wide, so I'll probably stick with that. I don't know if I'm going to hedge out or not. Yeah, well, to your point, I was saying I don't think I could get to laying a minus 225 in this spot, and you're getting a plus 350 on the comeback. That means, obviously, you're looking at a minus 400, minus 450, something like that in terms of the favorite status for Aylin Perez at the opener. So, uh, for sure, at those numbers, would have to get involved uh, on the underdog or pass, and um, I think that you got the best of it. Clearly, you know, looking at where the market's settling out here, so great bet. And uh, I think you got the best of it for sure. So you could either sit back here. You have an opportunity to hedge. That's the beautiful thing about taking some of the early numbers in these spots when you know you're going to get the best of it. Gives you options down the road. So you put yourself in a great position here. Um, I'm too late to the dance uh, on the underdog, I feel like. A lot of the value has been sapped out here for somebody that there are a lot of unknowns, I would say. Unknowns can be great at plus 350, but as you get more thin on the value, it becomes a little bit more, uh, you know, or a little bit less enticing, I should say. So Jewish better. How do you feel about this one, brother? Uh, are you getting down with any bets here? Yeah, I got to be careful about what I do when I'm on the camera, man. I, I guess I move my mouth a little too much. And one of the people that was watching, they thought I was like off cocaine or something. Huh. So now I'm like super, super like anal about what I'm doing right now. And it's freaking me out. But in all seriousness on this fight, man, I actually like my dude Pepe's move on this. If we look at the general market for where this fight's at, I think a majority of the side is going to be on Eileen Perez uh, due to the, you know, atrocious record of Ashley Evan Smith and the, uh, the big layoff as well. But at the end of the day, this is still low levels woman MMA. And I, I just want to keep that in everybody's mind. Uh, Perez, you know, has not faced any real level of competition so far. The only real like good thing I could say about her is she's at MMA masters, but you look at her regional fights, man, uh, the, the ones that she's winning easily, it's first people with very bad records. She's going out there that they're just giving up ground position straight to Mount straight to ground and pound. I just don't think that's sustainable at the UFC level. And she hasn't even proven herself at the UFC level yet. Thing is, Neither has really Ashley Evan Smith. At the end of the day, who was her best win, or only win, I believe, was uh, Beck Rawlings, and she had Vic Veronica Hardy way back, and I believe she won a split decision as well. But, um, you know, her losses are at least a decent level competition. I mean, Caitlin Vieira is pretty decent. Um, you know, her worst loss, I guess, was the armbar versus Mirage. So that being said, any low-level person could beat her as well at the end of the day. She kind of, you know, she's got a weird style, man. She fights almost like a parrot, I want to say. I don't know if it's that weird hairstyle. She comes in and out with that weird stand-up. Uh, I think this is a, a even fight on the feet. I do see a, a path for Evan Smith if she wants to wrestle, but the only thing I'm really worried about, man, she's 36 years old and she's coming off spine surgery. How much grappling are you really doing with a messed up spine? So I think striking would be a lot more easy to do uh, with, with that injury. 
you know, a little bit lower impact. I just don't know if she comes out with a straight grappling game plan. This is a complete pass for me. I actually think this fight could go over because we look at the finishes on the Perez side, they're versus extremely low level competition. Um, I guess, you know, we've seen, um, we've seen what's her name sub before Evan Smith, but Minus 190, I'm not too too ready to pull the trigger either. So I think this is a complete pass for me. If I have to lean aside, um, I could make an argument for both. But I guess I got to go with Perez. I just think she's the younger fighter at the better gym, uh, not coming off a three-year layoff. So simple as that. Uh, that's my pick. I like it. Um, so I think uh, Pepe is betting on um, the dog. But did you pick the favorite? Is that right? Are you asking me? Uh, no, I'm asking Pepe. From like an outright standpoint, would you pick Perez to win this fight? Yeah, if it was um, lined at evens, I would I would bet Perez. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Somebody said, "Can you explain how a parrot fights?" That's what that's what got me there to pop. Uh, that was funny. But I I think that uh you know the one the one piece of credit <laughs> I will give her is the Tamiris Vidal loss on Aylin Perez's record. She was winning that fight um and like dominating it. And then the DQ happened because she was like dominating her in that fight. And she was like shelled up on the ground, I believe. So uh, not a great look for Vidal there. It was more like a quit job. And Vidal is 1-0 in the UFC with a win over the GOAT, Ramona Pascal. So I think that, uh, you know, there's the credit that we could give Aylin Perez's pre-UFC uh, resume. But other than that, you're right. She didn't fight very high-level opposition. But she did show she's very aggressive. And she wants to be here, right? If you move your life to MMA Masters, if you kind of put in that extra level of work, if you show up in better shape for your second fight, I feel like that shows she really wants to be here. Whereas the other girl, not active in the UFC, to your point, surgery, injury, whatever it is, I don't know that she really wants to be here. So I think the one discrepancy that I would have with the market and with uh, you know certain perception of this fight is a lot of people think it's going to be a Perez decision. And I do think Perez has finishing upside here. Um, you know, I think she, if she can get it to the ground, I think she'll be very aggressive with ground and pound and we might just see a quick job from the other side. So that's, that's my personal opinion here, but we can move along. Cause this is a God awful fight and we can move to another fight. That's very suspect. Uh, we got Carl Deaton, the third taking on Alex Munoz. And, um, you know, this could definitely be mistaken for a regional fight. Alex Munoz, the guy who's owned to in the UFC, but not a guy who's shown no lack of promise. Um, you know, he is a guy that has a, uh, you know, a wrestling background, goes out there, gets some takedowns in his fights, but just hasn't been able to put it all together. You know, I thought he looked visibly nervous for the Nazareth Hackprass fight. Like that was just not a great look for me. I want to see guys that are confident savages that want to go out there and kill somebody. And I just felt like he looked really nervous. And, um, you know, I felt like if he didn't get his wrestling going in any fight, he's going to feel very, uh, like anxious on the feet and that will tax your cardio as well. Um, but in this fight, you know, then you look at the other side, Carl Deaton, he's a tough guy. He's a guy that brings some of the intangibles. I like, he's a dog. He wants to be in there. He wants to fight, but he just might be athletically outgunned here. Uh, that's kind of my suspicion. So no interest in betting on this fight for me. I uh, did think it was a dogger pass situation earlier in the week, but I just haven't really, um, felt the need to dig too deep into this because I don't know exactly what to expect from Perez. It's been a long time since he's been in the octagon. Um, and both of these guys have been steamrolled by higher level opposition. So for me, it's really a little, little bit of a crapshoot. Uh, Jewish better. We'll kick it to you on this one, my man. What do you feel about this? 
Yeah, the thing, I, the problem I have with Munoz the most is is the late. Like, I just feel like he wastes too much energy with the wrestling because he's not getting control time when he does get these takedowns. And in his fights, he's not holding these guys down longer than 20, 30 seconds. And the only guy he really, even Newell with one arm was, it, and I know Newell's legit, was able to get back up to his feet. So I'm not under the impression that Carl Deaton isn't. Uh, I'm not saying Carl Deaton's some cardio machine either because we've seen him slow down in fights like Jonas Flock. Uh, fights before that as well you know in fights that he has to grapple and they're higher there's a little bit higher volume he does slow down but i think Muno slows down a lot because he's the one offensively wrestling a lot of the time and he's not seeing control time on the other end for it so um we haven't seen him really pay for it too much besides the hack press fight uh pena was able to get him but i thought that fight was kind of close and i'm not sure if pena was just able to get up back to his feet because of his length you know that could give some guys tough uh toughness in the grappling uh part of the game you know that long lanky body guys are able to balance guys are able to get back up to their feet do things that you know a normal sized person wouldn't be able to uh but you know going tooth and nail with lewis Pena isn't the greatest look either on the other end you know joe selecki was able to take this guy out extremely quick but joe selecki uh i don't think there's any shame in that he was coming in short notice i believe you know supposed to lose that fight you know two-year layoff also for munoz so we don't really know exactly what version we're getting of him not a lot of data on that side um, I think this is more close to a 50-50 fight, my man. And if you're giving me plus 155 on one side, both these guys definitely have flaws. I'm not itching to bet either side, but I think the number here, um, I got to go with Deaton in this spot. And I think he has the striking advantage. Uh, I'm not a fan of the stiffness in Munoz's striking. I think he's just striking to try and get to the clinch. He's a little bit too one-dimensional. I think his game plan's been exposed. Um, I'm going to go with Deaton in this spot. I don't think it's an extremely uh, attractive bet, but for one plus one fifty five, I would take this for one unit. I don't hate the shot, so uh, respect. I think you know I considered it earlier on in the week, but now I'm almost going to wait and see. I feel like this Munoz line might just continue to creep up a little bit gradually throughout the week. Uh, kind of one of those favorite prices that feels like people you know wouldn't mind getting to, but it's also an earlier type of prelim fight. Don't know exactly how much volume there will be on a on a fight like this, so. I'm probably going to keep my hands clean in this one. Pepe, what do you think? Um, I played Munoz for four units at minus 135. I'm kind of embracing a lot of volatility, but I do think that he has, I think he has a ton of advantages in this spot. I don't really think Deaton has any advantage, really. Look, Even like you look back at the Pena fight, Munoz was like, tagging Pena up pretty good and Pena is a solid striker he's super slick um and yeah I think between I think he can keep it competitive striking land land the harder shots and implement the wrestling um I think this I think um Deaton is probably the lowest level fighter that he is he's faced in his past three fights so I think I think he should be able to cruise, and I liked it at minus one thirty-five. Obviously, the market agreed with me. I didn't I didn't really see the line moving this much, but I'm glad to get ahead of it. Yeah, and again, you did your job here. You got the best of the number. We got two guys that basically found you know a similar entry point on the fight on different sides. But I think you know in terms of. Uh, the Munoz side, he does have the size advantage. He's a little bit bigger here by the measurables. Guys are the same age, roughly. Uh, the only thing I would say that Deaton has going for him is just activity and then uh, 
you know, like recent activity, of course, uh, but also just a number of fights. He's had a lot of fights. Um, so I felt like the the overall level of activity, the number of fights, the professional experience, that could be kind of the feather in his cap. But overall, uh, to your point, you know, I think it's going to be very competitive here. Um, and I think that Munoz, he's got potential wrestling advantage and some size. So uh, I could understand why the line moved the way it did. But um, I'm going to keep my hands clean at this one, boys. I wish you guys the best of luck. We got two guys on opposite sides there. So uh, somebody's going to go home happy. Um, you know, we know that going in and, and that's good to see. Oh it. man. Uh, One unit is a big difference from four units, my man. So hopefully, course, hopefully he gets that. I'm, I'm in for more. There's many bets, many, many outs, many ways to profit on the night. So hopefully we all come out on top by the end of it. But, uh, alas, we'll move to the next one here. 125 pound fight between the 16 and no undefeated Kazakh fighter as at Maxim taking on Tyson Nam here and, We've got, you know, kind of a classic UFC spot, right? You've got on the one hand, the big underdog in this spot is the tested UFC guy, but he's looking like he's starting to slow down a little bit, got finished in his last fight, kind of was a little bit lamb to slaughter there against Bruno Silva, hurt him on the feet, took him down, finished him on the mat. Bruno Silva, I felt like had some clear advantages there, thought he was the faster guy. Um, and Tyson Nam, he still shows up prepared. He still makes weight somehow, but He's a guy that is so old for the division compared to the average age of the division. You know, it kind of makes sense to me that he's not going to come into his fights as a favorite, especially at this point. Um, he's also a guy who relies on the knockout a lot of times. He doesn't have that much volume, lost a few de decisions, I believe, in the UFC. Um, he's hard to take down, though, by the stats. Um, so I think it's probably going to be a fight that takes place uh, on the feet at at the early points. But uh, I think that Maxim is probably going to get him to the ground and, uh, you know, the, the sub is like plus 285. I think it's the widest priced uh, method here for Maxim, and I think it's the most likely. So, um, yeah, for take that for whatever it's worth, but I kind of feel like Maxim by sub is probably uh, what's going to end up taking place here. Um, but don't have a very strong read on this fight. I did not bet the fight. Uh, would want you know more than plus 285 to bet on a sub prop like that as well. Um, but that's just kind of my gut level feeling here. So telling you guys how I feel. Uh, Pepe Silvia, how do you feel about this one, brother? Um, I ended up playing the under two and a half at, I think, minus 125 or something. I don't love the bet, but I I do think that it has a decent chance of cashing. Um, Nam, like, he, he just, he's coming back. You know his age, um, and his durability can't be getting any better. And then, like, you look at some of Azat's regional fights, and he's he's getting rocked and dropped by like lesser guys and non packs, a lot of power. Um, and like, I was debating on taking the shot on Tyson, but I just think the under is a better way to approach it for me. So I thought it was worth a shot. I love a good flyweight under still looking at a minus 135 for the under two and a half here on win bet. I don't hate that. Um, I think that's probably fair. I think that, Honestly, it covers a lot of the most viable outcomes here. So, yeah, I like that shot a lot, and uh, I definitely consider getting there. I've been kind of steering away from totals this year because I'm historically not that great at betting them, right? Know your strengths, know your weaknesses. But I do think that that's one that I can kind of get behind, and uh, and I like the shot. I like the uh, rationale as well. Jewish better, what do you think about this one, brother? Yeah, man, I think Nam is dangerous early here. Like Pepe said, we've seen him get rocked in, in some of these fights. I believe it. I don't remember the guy's exact name. I really wish I had topology in front of me. But uh, 
you know, I think this guy is one of those people, he's still young, and I think he's one of those people that doesn't really have any, like, specialty, but he does everything pretty decently. Uh, the thing is with Nam, he's definitely fought the better competition, but he's kind of proven to be an early knockout or bust type person. I've seen him physically slow down in some of these fights, albeit his versus UFC level competition. I mean, like, he, he's losing decisions, and I believe it was at a split decision versus Matt Schnell, who's a uh, top 15 flyweight in the UFC, uh, been around veteran in the game, so... That's there's no real shame in that. It's the it's the fact that he's slowing down so much in the fights, I believe, and the visible slowdown. How much is it getting worse? I feel like that you know after that age of thirty five, thirty six, it just exponentially gets worse, especially at a at a division like flyweight. You really just don't even see any fighters at that age in the UFC at that division. So uh, very interesting. I don't know if he's an anomaly, and I I can't trust it. Um, I wanted to take the dog shot on Nam here just because I think he has the cleaner. Uh, striking in the beginning, he, he he's just a little bit too low volume for me, and he's looking for that perfect power shot. And I just don't know if uh, this guy's going to give him the chance to get it. I think this guy's going to wrestle early. He's going to try and wrestle often. Um, I, I just think this line's a little bit too wide, but I can't get to the dog shot on Tyson Nam because this guy's 40-year-old flyweight, uh, just too many signs. He slows down in his fights. And uh, if I have to pick a side, I guess... You know, like if this fight was even, I'm going to go with the younger guy coming in the UFC. Uh, give me uh, Azmat or however you say it. I don't want to butcher his name. I love it. We got MMA Locker Room in the chat says, we got two Austin Lingos up top on the panel with Action Bronson on the bottom. What's up, though? Shout out to our guy from Pub Sports Radio. Shout out, Mills. My, my goodness. Um, but to close the book on this fight here, guys, um, as at Maxim, Tyson Nam, uh, I think the best available price is minus 400 that you can get right now on BetMGM for As at Maxim. So huge price to pay for a UFC debutante. That's one thing from just like a theoretical long-term standpoint. Betting those long-term is really tough. UFC debutantes at minus 400 chalk, probably going to break your heart more often than not. Um, Tyson Nam, plus 325, best available comeback. Um, his KO1 is plus 1700, I think. I do think that's a little bit wide, but I don't know if I'll end up getting there. I just think that uh, he's a little that's bit insane. Yeah, I think I think that's certainly a little too wide for a guy making their debut. Like, could definitely walk onto a big shot. We've seen it before. But I, I kind of feel like this kid's going to win. You know, uh, when, when you've got that 16-0 Kazakh record, and to your point, it's not like he hasn't faced some adversity regionally. He's been dropped before, but he's a tough kid, and he knows how to win fights. And when you're 16-0, it kind of tells me, like, there's been a fight where things didn't go your way and when you didn't feel so good and you still found a way to win. I like to see that from people coming up. So I think just the younger generation is going to get a little turnover here. Next up, we got a lightweight fight between Gennaro Valdez and Evan Elder. And both of these guys kind of had some hard luck in the UFC uh, for Gennaro Valdez. Tough matchmaking out the gate, um, you know, for his style. He got knocked down four times against Matt Frivola uh, and he got taken down six times against Natan Levy. So he's basically been audited in two different directions. Um, but both of those guys have skills in those positions. So uh, I don't know how much skin there is off his nose there. Uh, looking to get back on track, though, because 0-3, real bad way to start. And for Evan Elder, you know, last time out, he was up 2018 on the judges' scorecards unanimously, all three judges uh, in that Sadikov fight. And then it all went sideways in round three, gets cut. Dr. Stoppage, Dr. Stoppage, uh, you know, sorry, I had to break in with that, but I feel like this is the kind of thing where Evan Elder, 
um, you know, minus 300 after, you know, two UFC losses. It's a little bit aggressive, but it also makes some sense to me. Um, they are the same size, but you haven't seen the same clear flaws in terms of the durability uh, and the takedown defense from Evan Elder because Preston Parsons, in fairness, is like a really big guy. Like when he's taking him down and dominating him on the ground, I was like, wow, weight classes matter, right? Like this guy at 155 looked really dynamic and he just didn't look dynamic at all at 170. Came back down to 155. He's looking like himself. He's winning the fight. It's competitive. Sadikov's not a pushover. He's a, you know, well-trained guy from Long Island. Give him some credit there. But then like outside of that, you know, he's a guy that I feel like has put on a pretty decent display. Whereas Gennaro Valdez, he fought really recklessly against Frivola, put his chin on the line. When he had opportunities there, he blew it because he kept putting his chin on the line and got hurt again and again. Um, and so that was a huge red flag. And Natan Levy's not the guy who's going to hurt you. So that was a fight where it's like, all right, can this guy do something when we don't have a guy who's a power puncher against him? No. He was getting taken down at will. Natan Levy was able to bail himself out a lot of times in that fight. So I do think Valdez can compete. He's a tough guy. I think he's going to try and bring the violence. I just feel like this is probably a tough matchup for him. And Evan Elder's not the best finisher, but I feel like he's really motivated for this fight. I feel like he's a better fighter than he's been able to show so far. So I think he's going to get the win here. But I don't love the price, uh, to be frank. Pepe, how do you feel about this one, brother? Um, I I think this is the biggest bet on the card for me. I had um I bet Elder when he was minus two forty four to win two units, so four point eight eight on him. And I just think he's like the perfect archetype fighter to beat Valdez, um, because he has the durability. Like that's the only thing you really have to worry about if um you're betting on someone against Valdez is as long as they have durability, they'll be able to outlast him. Um, although he did look a little bit better against Levy. Um, I'm just not a Levy truther, really. And I think I did, I think he didn't really fight like a good game plan in that one either. But um, I, I was impressed with how Elder looked against uh, Sadikov in his last fight. And he's still young in his career. He's at a good camp. Um, I think... I think he should be able to win this uh, fight any way he wants, like on the feet or take him down and grapple him. So I think I think it's a it was a smash spot. Yeah, and we've seen Entrim Jim, but on a little bit of a tough run. Uh, whereas Killcliffe FC, very proven, very solid camp. Um, you know, Evan Elder getting in great work with world class fighters every day. So I want to give him that credit as well. Jewish better, do you have any bets on this one, my brother? How are you feeling? Mm, yeah, you know what? I'm thinking of taking a shot on Valdez by KO. I just think this line's a little bit too wide, and I think if he's going to get the job done, that's his like, most obvious path, right? Uh, Elder did look good in the Sadakov fight, but I'll probably talk about this a little later. I'm not 100% sold on Nazim. Uh, uh, the more I do film, I just don't know if he's 100% UFC level yet. He was able to finish Elder the later that fight went. He got the cut stoppage. Obviously, Elder was supposed to win that fight. He was up... 2018 on both the judges scorecards so you can't take that in effect and the first fight came in on super short notice but parsons was you know having his way with him in that fight it was absolutely you know not even a competition but we got to chalk that up a little bit to the short notice as well but i just don't know 100 percent what i'm getting here with other yeah he did look really good in his last fight but i just don't know how i feel about nazim sadikov yet 
I don't know how I feel about Levy either, though, like my man Pepe said. But, uh, you know, plus 280 on uh, I had I saw on Gennaro Valdez. So I took a small shot on that. And I also think if he's going to get the job done, it's going to be by knockout. He does have the power, was able to drop for Vola, I believe, in his fight as well. So it's always possible that he's live for that knockout. It's a fist fight. And uh, I think this is going to be a little bit more volatile than people expect rather than it just be an easy win for Elder, which is what it's priced at right now at minus 300. So I don't mind the minus 240. Uh, I think it's just getting a little bit too much here on the Elder side. Fair play. And, you know, again, this is a point about pricing, right? At, at minus 244, we're looking at like 71%. And now we're over minus 300 in a lot of places. So we're looking at over 75%. So the line has moved here, um, been some support on the Evan Elder side. And so now you're looking to potentially buy back a little bit. That's where markets meet points of resistance. No, no problem there. I think that for me, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, right, the red flag is what Billy's saying, right? Minus 350, he gets punched in the face a lot. I understand that, that point for sure. But I do think he is a guy who's very durable, right? Preston Parsons, if you want to quit in a fight, you quit in that fight, right? Like you're getting beat up. The guy's way bigger than you. There's no clear viable path to get back into the fight. And the guy stayed tough the whole time, clearly wants to be a UFC fighter. And I felt like the UFC giving him this fight was them trying to get him back on the winning track. That was my gut level feel here where they're like, man, we've given this guy, you know, a couple fights and he's gone out there and showed us he wants to be here. He just hasn't gotten a win yet across the finish line. And there's been multiple paths laid out for how to beat Valdez, right? With Levy, it was the six takedowns. With Frivola, it was standing and banging in the middle. And by the way, Frivola has a little bit of a flashy chin. So with all due respect, we've seen Frivola get chinned by Terrence McKinney in seven seconds, right? Like we've seen times when Matt Frivola has gotten chin checked early, Marco Polo Reyes, but he's done a better job of defending in recent fights. That's what I think has been the real change. And we'll talk about that later on the card with another Frivola opponent. But in that fight, Gennaro Valdez landed his best shot, but he got hit so clean so many times. And that was the thing that was for me a problem. And I do think people are super bullish on the elder KO line here, but I would not be surprised by any method of, of victory for elder here. I do think he's got some paths um, to take this in different directions. And I, I kind of think uh, it feels like a trap line, but I actually think people are not going to bet elder because he's such a big favorite. And I think mm -hmm. he's going to win the fight. Um, that's kind of my gut feeling here. But dude, I was up. there for that. Um, oh, no, nah, I just, my bad, my bad. I was there for that. Um, Valdez versus Frivola fight, man. And that was probably one of the favorite, my favorite fights I ever saw live. Um, yeah. Absolute <laughs> banger. Uh, I remember that one very vividly. Just a crazy fight all in all. Hell yeah, man. And the other thing about Valdez, he's going to fight for your money, right? He's not, he didn't quit on himself in that Frivola fight, but he just makes some critical mistakes. And I feel like technically we have two guys on a different level. So from an attribute standpoint, toughness, all that stuff, he could compete. It's a lightweight fight, all that. I get the shot on the dog, but I think just from a gut level feeling, I think Evan Elder's going to win this fight. I had uh, I had the Frivola oh, sub. Please, I, I had the Frivola <laughs> sub against Valdez um, in that fight, and I just kept screaming, "Take his fucking knife!" Like, <laughs> dude, he just like he wouldn't go out, and Frivola just refused to grab the knock. It was ridiculous. What's um Elder sub here? Elder sub line sitting at for this fight. Uh, Elder Sub is like plus 500, I think, on um, on uh, Bet Online. And I feel like this is one of the fights that hadn't opened up props. Am I, has this one opened up props now? Oh, it looks like it has. Let me check. Elder by Sub plus 500 is the best available price on Bet MGM. 
Yeah, I think I need and a nobody's bit more picking that. that on topology for whatever it's worth. So that could be a little sneaky, but shout out to our guy, Zach mm -hmm. in the comments says he thinks this fight is going the distance. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a contrarian take there, but it also, you know, it's happened a few times here um, with elder. So fair enough. And he looked like he was on pace to go to decision with Sadikov, obviously. So, um, but we can move along guys. We got a lightweight fight next up. Austin lights out lingo taking on milk Costa. And this is a fight where you got two guys under the age of 30. So I think it's fair to call these guys uh, prospects, right? This is going to be taking place in the featherweight division. You got both guys listed at five foot 10, but milk looks visibly a little bit taller, right? Maybe lingo's uh, getting the, the topology bump there. I feel like he's a little five, nine, five, eight, uh, you know what I'm saying? But either way, Mel Costa also going to show a three inch advantage here in reach. He's three years younger in this spot. Um, but to be honest with you, man, I think that Austin lingo is the side here at this price. Um, and I've definitely considered betting this. I haven't gotten there quite yet. Um, the things that I don't like about Austin lingo is he's kind of a generic, uh, you know, white guy at featherweight, you know, there's not that much marketability to the guy. He doesn't seem like he could sell, uh, you know, water in a desert, right? He just seems like a very average American dude. But he can go out there and fight, right? And he's an average UFC fighter. By the numbers, that's kind of what he's been. Uh, he's been going out there, and he got the win against Saldana as a plus 100. I bet him in that spot. I bet him as a favorite against Jacob Kilburn. Felt like that was a layup kind of spot for him as well. And Lingo, I bet him against Nate Landwer, plus, uh, one unit at plus 200 in his last fight. He's a very similar price now against a guy who is way Worse, right? Not as proven, in my opinion, as somebody like Nate Lambwer. And so Melk is still a young enough guy, and he's had a lot of fights. He's made some improvement over time. But I don't know that he's just lights out in any one category here. And lights out, ironically. Um, lights out is the nickname for Lingo. That's why I said that. But in any case, right, Lingo, he has power. He's knocked people out in the first round before. His last fight got rescheduled short notice. They moved the fight, changed the opponent. Then he goes out there, he wins the first round against a guy who's like a borderline ranked fighter, but then he kind of fell off in terms of the cardio. And the one thing is, if you start to slow down even a little bit against Nate, the fight's as good as over already. Nate just knows that, he senses that, he breaks people, that's what he does for a living, right? He's not he's not that technical, but he breaks people for a living. He waits till you get tired and he kills you. And I think that that was kind of just written on the wall there. I had lingo, but I was like, ah, oh, this is not looking good. This is a kind of fight where I feel like Lingo is going to be a little bit more comfortable. He's going to have an opportunity to get back on track. The one fight that looks bad on his resume is the Zawal fight because he gave up a bunch of takedowns there, kind of looked a little bit too loosey-goosey. I just don't expect that Melk is going to come out here and attempt a ton of takedowns at a high clip either. So I feel like Lingo at plus 185 and above uh, is probably due for a half-unit shot here. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. I haven't got to the window yet, but that's my, my gut level. And also, I felt like Lingo, the reason I had to bet him against Nate last time, I felt like if either guy won by knockout in round one, it was more likely to be Lingo. And I think in this fight, everybody's talking about Melk being the only one who's got a chance to win the fight by knockout, but Lingo's got two UFC knockdowns, right? And he's got a bunch of knockouts pre-UFC as well, where he put put guys to sleep. So I don't, I don't know if we can really count out his knockout ability just because he hasn't found it yet. I think that he could still find a knockout in the UFC, including in this fight. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Pepe, how do you feel about this one, brother? Um, yeah, I, I, it kind of does, it, it does seem like Lingo is his side. Um, Costa doesn't really separate himself too much in, in his fighting style. Um, but I think the line that kind of stuck out to me that I'm kind of considering right now is the over, even though 
Lingo does have power. They both do, but they're both pretty durable. And I don't really see, unless Costa, like, I guess Costa could just, like, grapple fuck him. Um, and, you know, that would, obviously, he would justify his line in that regard. But I don't know. He doesn't always attempt a lot of takedowns, so I don't know if he's actually going to do that. I'm not sure what his game plan is going to be. Um, yeah, I, I'm still I'm still digesting this one. I don't know where I'm going to go with it, but um, Lingo is definitely the side for me um, as of now. But I haven't I haven't played anything yet. But debating the over and the GTD. Yeah, I'm definitely strongly considering here. Um, and I don't hate that shot on the over. Like I said, I do think people maybe underrate Lingo's ability to win by knockout, but I don't know how likely this fight is to end by sub. If if uh, Melk doesn't implement a grappling-heavy game plan, I do not expect Lingo will do that. Uh, I do think Lingo's got a decent guillotine, right? As a guy who's a a, a person who likes to see some uh, good guillotines, pre-UFC, he had a couple nice guillotine finishes, if my memory serves. So he's a guy that has some well-rounded skill, but obviously that's where he had some liabilities in the past. So uh, against a longer, lankier guy, hopefully he's made some improvements, does train with a good gym. You'd hope to see some improvements there over time. Did you have something to add, brother? Oh. No, no, I'm sorry. I must have unmuted by accident. No problem at all. So my guy, Jewish better. How do you feel about this one, brother? Yeah, I think I'm going to go against you guys here. I actually like a lot of what I see in Mazikula uh, Costa. Um, you know, this guy actually, you said, kind of, it's kind of funny. You said Lingo is not really a marketable guy, kind of a generic white guy. I think Costa is very marketable. He's got the uh, skin thing, the vitiligo, that stands out about him, the haircut, everything. He's another one of those shoot box guys. Uh, you know, we, we, I believe me and you both took Elvis Brenner, uh, a few weeks ago on the dog shot. And, you know, these guys are tough. They, they, you know, whatever you're able to give them, they're able to take, and they don't re really fade the later the fight goes. And that's what I like about Costa. If you go back and watch Lingo against Saldana, you know, Saldana has dangerous kicks and I think Costa does as well. I don't, I don't know if this fight stays standing that this is a complete Lingo fight. I think he has good boxing, but I think at range, you know, um, Mazikiel is going to have more weapons to choose from. He's going to have the high kick. He's going to be able to go low. He's going to have the body kick on Lingo, which uh, Saldana was absolutely blasting Lingo with in that first round. He was able to piece him up. The thing is with Saldana is he slows down as the fight goes on extremely, and that's what we saw in there. Lingo, the vet, he was able to you know keep this going, but I think he's going to take a lot of damage in this spot against Costa, the younger, more athletic fighter. I get it. The line is kind of wide. What are we sitting at exactly now for the money line on Costa? Um, so the best available price on Costa looks like it's a minus 210 on BetMGM, and you're looking at an, a market average price of minus 230, so 70% implied. Mm. Very interesting, and I I, I kind of want to get in on this, but I, I want the line to just drop a little bit because if I could get a little bit better of a price on this, I just like everything I see at Acosta, but we got to keep in mind we're betting prices here. So 77 is a lot. I do know Lingo is a veteran. Uh, he, he's got a few UFC fights under his belt. And, you know, like he was able to stick around in that Saldana fight. He wasn't getting finished. Although he was hurt early in the first round, he wasn't getting finished. So that is always to keep in mind. Uh, I was impressed, though, with Costa's takedown defense in the Moises fight. It just, you know, I think he was fighting a losing battle there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't on short notice there versus, you know, a ranked opponent at that point in time. So, uh, you know, tough 
call for anybody. I don't know if they want this guy losing two fights in a row. I think, you know, he's an interesting prospect coming into the UFC. So um, I get it. He's a favorite, but I'm, I'm just, you know, if you're giving me just minus 110, minus 110, like Pepe said before, I, I like everything I see out of Costa, and I know he's going to fight for my money. I feel that for sure. The thing for me about Lingo, though, is like how much do I want to hold it against him that he got um, you know, beat by Yusuf Zalal and Nate Landwer, who I know for sure are both two like proximal UFC-level guys. Let's say Yusuf Zalal is like the lowest-level UFC guy. He's a top 50 to top 75 guy, could beat some guys above him but could lose to some guys below him type of guy. That's I think that that's like a fair way to break it down. This guy, you know, two or three fights ago is losing to Italo Gomez, who I have to confess, I don't know who the hell that is, right? He lost to Marcos Vinicius, uh, Rafael Barbosa, Antonio Montiero, uh, Elisimar Lima. If if I had said that Lingo had lost any of those guys, we'd be like, who the hell is that? You know, it's just like, but because it happened a little while ago and he's had all these fights, you know, he kind of has like painted his record out with some wins and he's gotten a lot of experience. But I feel like at the end of the day, he's a guy that could win or lose. You know, How old is he? So, if, uh, I think he's, uh, he's 26, 26 years old. So you got to yeah. think those fights were when he was 20 years old, my man. Those improvements you make in those young years are absolutely insane. And, and I think we're going to get it. Gomez in 2022 as a favorite in LFA. Uh, that, that's rough, man. That's definitely rough. But I got to go back and watch that fight. What I've seen of him in his last few fights. That so, guy's even bigger than him. That's it. You know, that guy's even bigger. He's like 5'11". Okay, fair enough, though. But I I'll have to go back and watch that fight. I haven't placed my money down on it. But what I've seen in the last fight uh, against him and the fight before that, he um, I like that. The plus three and a half, that's an interesting bet because then in that one, he just has to win a round, right? So uh, that's an interesting one. But um, like yeah, you said I never before, I have spread, to pick But I actually was drawn to that. <laughs> that's a good one. If I have to pick a side, man, I'll go with the favorite. But no bet for me yet. Peppy, what you got? I was just, I guess it, it depends on how much you price the lingo KO because GTD is plus 100. So I don't know. I think I would prefer just betting the GTD at plus 100 as opposed to lingo plus three and a half. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just not pricing the KO. I don't, I don't know how much KO equity I'm giving lingo. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think he could win the fight by knockout. That's I feel like the unknown for me is how likely Costa is to get knocked out in this fight. Because Lingo does hit with some power. Like I didn't know if he was going to knock out Saldana or the other guy either. I just feel like he can compete, you know. And when you're giving me a guy that's just like a standard run of the mill guy, that here's the other thing about Lingo not being marketable. I don't think anybody wants to bet on this guy. Who wants to bet on Austin Lingo, especially after that last one where he goes out there, gives you the hope right? The hope spot in pro wrestling, the pump fake. And then he goes out there and drops the ball for you. I feel like a lot of people are going to say F Austin lingo. This guy sucks. Mel Costa went out there and competed with Tiago Moises, but a lot of guys have competed with Tiago Moises on the feet. A lot of guys, right? It's just Tiago Moises on the ground is a beast. That for me is kind of the difference here where I think Austin lingo will compete with him on the feet and not be very anxious there where Tiago Moises has never been not anxious on the feet, except for against Alexander Hernandez, for whatever reason, he whooped that guy's ass and was very confident doing so. So God bless him for it. Uh, plus 200 that night as well. So shout out to him. But anyways, let's move along to the next fight here on the card. We got Estela Nunes, another Brazilian taking on Victoria Dudakova here. Uh, and for me, 
you know, I got to look into this myself, but I'm hearing surgically repaired knee on the Dudakova side. That would give me some hesitation here at a favorite price. However, the market's already done a lot of correcting on this side. Uh, we're currently looking over at the odd sham screen. And what I am seeing is it's Stella Nunes best available price here in the great state of New York, plus 172. You're looking at minus 185 for Dudakova at WinBet is the best available price on the favorite. So a lot of uh, market movement here. Dudakova, I think, opened as high as minus 550. Um, so now she's all the way down to a minus 180. Ton of movement here. For me, big favorite, a ton of movement in the line. Kind of things that suggest a finish. But then my gut read on this fight was kind of like Dudakova is probably going to come out here, try and wrestle, try and get on top. And I do think the one problem here is like Estela Nunez, she's got great skills on the feet. And I think she's probably going to be able to defend the takedowns early, but we've just seen a, a bunch of examples now for her self-immolating. And like, it's almost like regardless of opponent, she does fall apart a little bit down the stretch. The difference is though, this is probably the least proven opponent that she's fought. Uh, granted, she got the win on contender series as a plus 250 dog. Good stuff there, but she's coming off the uh, potential injury. If, if the things I'm hearing are correct. So off an injury, UFC debutante. How many times have we seen a debutante drop the ball, right? Many, many times. So a few things that are a little bit red flaggy to me, especially with this big line movement. But your eyeballs are your eyeballs. You got to trust your gut and what you see. And I just think Dudakova is a better fighter based on what I see, um, you know, at this stage of the game. She's the younger fighter here as well. Um, I think Dudakova is going to come in and get the win, but I don't feel very good about it. So I will not be touching this fight with a 10-foot pole. Uh, Estella Nunes trains with the right people, Nunes camp uh, and ATT. So she's gotten a lot of the right work in. She's shown some improvements fight over fight, but just hasn't been able to put it all together. I feel like it's probably a dog or pass situation at the number, but uh, I just I don't feel compelled to bet it. Uh, what do you think about this one, Peppy? So I, I was able to get on some um, Estella Nunez at plus 300. Um, and like that line is just so, so ridiculous. Like, like you said, Dudikova was a plus 250 underdog in her contender series fight. And now you want to make her a minus 500 in her UFC debut. And like, I, I get it. Like Estella hasn't looked great, but like, the the Sam Hughes fight was super close, um, and like Dudikova's just not proven at all. Um, I'm banking that Estella um, is training hard and hopefully getting better. I hate how she has quit in her. Like I hate betting on fighters who have quit in them because it's just so annoying but it's so frustrating when they throw it away on you dude i know but i just i couldn't pass up that line um and it won't be uh she won't be the only brazilian lesbian woman i'll be betting on this card i absolutely love it um you know we we've stopped brazilian hate many times on this show i think there's always more opportunities to do it again so uh, don't hate the shot here. You know, we've got one girl who's got six wins, but no losses. And we've got another girl who's got six wins, four losses. So that means she's got almost twice the professional experience. Maybe she's gotten a little more of that losing out of her system. You'd like to hope. Uh, and at plus 300, I mean, how wrong could you be? It's WMMA. Uh, the other girl's not very proven. The girl that uh, she beat is a little bit fugazi, uh, right? So we wish her well. We hope that she makes the comeback, but 
she was a girl that Dana wasn't willing to sign after a win on Contender Series. That'll tell you about everything that you need to know. Shout out to our guy, Take No Prisoners. Have to absolutely stop the show. $10 dono here. Liam, uh, please, whenever you break down fights, stop considering what the bookmaker crooks are suggesting. I always consider all angles, my friend. I, I can't help it. That's just the way that I'm wired. But uh, I think about what the UFC wants. I think about what the bookmaker wants. I think about what I want. I think about what the fighter wants. Um, I try and cover it from every angle. Leave no stone unturned, like my guy MMA Adam Martin says. So, um, you know, always be learning and and always be trying to figure out uh, the next best angle. Jewish better. What do you think about this fight? Do you think there's any value here on Estella Nunez? Did you get involved either side of this fight? How are you feeling, my brother? Yeah, I just don't know how I'm, how sold I am on Dudakova's wrestling. We've seen her get takedowns in the regional scene, but the, the opponents are able to get back to their feet. So I, I just don't know necessarily how good her top control is either. I actually, you know, I think Estella Nunez's takedown defense is getting better. But once she's on her back, she's kind of a fish out of water. She doesn't get back to her feet. She'll sit in close guard. She'll take punches. So I think, man, on the Dudakova side, you might just need one takedown and she's able to win a round. Um, also, on the other hand, you know, Estella Nunez does slow down as the fight goes. But I think on the feet, she has an absolute advantage. And I actually think she could put away um, – Dudakova, but I'm not depending on that. It's women's MMA. They're not like these power punchers. Uh, it's not like Francis Ngannou at the heavyweight class, but um, and that's the thing. I just think at a certain point, she's going to be able to eat whatever Estela Nunez is, is throwing at her, get into the clinch, and regardless of how great her wrestling is, it's not like Estela... I just said her takedown defense is improving. I don't think it's that good to begin with, so... Uh, Interesting fight here. I think this is a this is a pass for me completely. Uh, but if I have to pick a side, I'm going to go with the grappler. Maybe she doesn't even get dropped in the first round. But uh, I would even at that point maybe look. I don't even want to say a live bet because she's already down around. She's unproven. So who knows at this point? So this is just a complete pass for me. I want to see a little bit more of what I'm getting out of Dudakova. But if Nunez loses this fight, man, she's gone. That's a bounce. So uh, I think she's coming to fight here and. Uh, KO in round one is definitely possible. So I'm going to stay away from this one. Complete pass for me. Fair enough, my man. Uh, I almost feel like the fight not going to decision is kind of interesting here. Um, and the only reason I say that, it's not a great price. Let me check exactly what we're looking at currently. Fight doesn't go is running all the way to minus uh, 114 best available that I'm seeing the under two and a half year plus 104 best available seems like the last of the Mohegans of the plus money unders here is on FanDuel. So uh, that might get stripped away here soon enough as well. But when I look at this kind of fight, I just think to myself, surgically repaired knee against a girl who's going to come out here and try and rip your head off with the striking in the early going. And basically has discovered about herself that she's got seven and a half minutes to work at a high level. I feel like she might come out here and just commit to trying to go for an early finish. If that's the case, it's definitely a fight that could get stopped. On the other hand, um, you know, with Dudakova, if she's having the success we think she might on the wrestling, then she's going to be in top positions where Estela Nunes has been finished before in multiple ways. So I don't know. It just seems like a fight that has a bunch of different ways that it could end inside the distance. And, you know, if you got an under two and a half, maybe that's a compelling way to watch this fight. But, uh, all things considered, probably just feel better about leaving this one on the cutting room floor and hoping for uh, a fun fight. Next up, 
We've got a featherweight scrap here, and this is going to be the prelim headliner for the event. We got Tucker Lutz, top gun, taking on Melsic, the gun, Bogdasarian. So I didn't even realize they had done that with the guns facing off with each other, but that's what we got. We got two guns here. We're going to find out which gun is bigger, right? And I think, uh, you know, on the one hand in this fight, I do think that this is an interesting spot for Tucker Lutz at the early numbers, and I'll make the case for why. Tucker Lutz in his last two fights has been at a grappling disadvantage, right? And he comes from a place called Ground Control Academy. So when you think about how he's going to have success in the UFC, it's probably going to come from takedowns, from top control, and from using his ability to park it on top. He's not the most dangerous guy in the world, but he does have pretty decent lay and pray, you know, build, right? He's got that wide top chest. You know, he kind of just stays spread out on top of somebody and makes it hard for them to get back up to their feet. I feel like that's his path to winning fights in the UFC, right? We've seen it against Sherrard Blackledge. I feel like Sherrard's a pretty tough guy, but maybe he didn't have the physicality uh, to get back up to his feet. I feel like in this fight, you know, uh, we might see Tucker Lutz actually get to takedowns and have some success because you're not going to take down Pat Sabatini in all likelihood, right? You're probably not going to be taking down, um, you know, Daniel Pineda very easily either, right? Especially when you're talking about Daniel Pineda was hurting him on the feet. And then he's supposed to go out there and try and outgrapple a guy who's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who's been around the game for way longer and had three times the amount of fights as a minus 300 favorite. No pressure. It's like I just felt like that was a, a spot where everything got to him. Now nobody wants to bet on Tucker Lutz, I feel like, although the market says otherwise, right? The number's starting to come in. But it just felt to me like this would be a spot where Lutz would be undervalued, right? Melsic, on the other hand, Maybe people are writing him off a little too soon because he went out there and got submitted in his last fight. Josh Kulabau, I've said in the past, is a dog. I bet him at plus 400 against, uh, what's his name, um, uh, the Canadian, Charles Jordan. Because I was like, no way Charles Jordan's a minus 500 against anybody. And by the way, it was a draw. right? So it's like Kulabau went out there and fought his ass off. So we know that Kulabau will fight to the death with anybody. He's not afraid of that. He fought uh, tooth and nail with Jalen Turner as a way smaller guy. And then Jalen Turner sent him to the land of wind and ghosts for his troubles. This is a kind of guy though, uh, where Melsic is a killer, right? And he could definitely put somebody away. He could hit them with big shots, but Colin Anglin as a win, does that, does that really tell me a ton? No, he's a guy that kind of, um, you know, went away shortly thereafter. I don't think he's going to be fighting at a very high level. Bruno Souza, you go out there and don't get the finish over that guy. Felt like that was a fight. He should have went out there and finished, you know, to be frank, like, Melsic is a guy who's too dangerous to not go out there and finish a guy like that. So I don't know exactly what to make of him, but then you see the guys he's training with proximity to greatness. If it could do anything for you, he's going to have a great performance in this fight because he's been around the right guys uh, in this training camp from everything I've seen uh, with the exception of Edmund Terverdi and head movement, head movement. Um, I don't believe in Melsic uh, super uh, long-term because I don't think that you can correct for that kind of cardio dump. I do think he's a guy that has a lot of musculature and fights with a little bit of ego but I also think he's a guy that's capable of taking somebody's head off. He's a very dangerous fighter. So those are the things that, uh, that I I'm looking for here. So, um, what do you think about this one? We'll start it with Jewish better. Yeah, man. I like the luck. You can hear me. Yeah. Yep. You can hear me. Yeah, man. I like the left side, dude. I think, uh, underdog price. I think there's a path for him. You said the wrestling background. This guy started MMA. Uh, he was a, a wrestler in high school. I believe, I'm not sure. I believe he was at the JUCO level. Uh, you know, starts uh, MMA at 18 years old. And he's been in the game for a while now. He has the experience. You know, last two fights, you said, like you said, where, where was his real path to victory? He's got to go up against two two very high-level grapplers in Pineda. 
you could say, oh, Pineda slows down, but he's still a high-level grappler with the striking. And Pat Sabatini was able to just blanket him just like Pat Sabatini does to most people in the octagon. So no shame in that either. Um, you know, you could say we really haven't seen much out of him besides that because he hasn't fought in that level of competition. But just like you said on the Melsic side, um, you know, this guy fought Colin Anglin. I'm not going to take that win, you know, to the grave with me. He he also got taken down in that fight by Colin Anglin. I don't think his get up in that fight was super technical. Uh, I just don't think Colin Anglin's the guy that's going to take you down and hold you down in these fights. Melsic Bogdasarian, the other, other issue I have with him is, like you said, the cardio dump, and I think that's the biggest issue. And I think when he's forced to grapple and he's forced into these clinch positions, the longer the fight goes, the, the power bar zaps out of him. And we see that stamina bar, just like you're playing UFC, it just goes down, down, down on, on Melsic Bogdasarian. We've seen this guy Death Gas versus Dennis Bajuccia on the uh, Dana White's Contender Series. He completely was tired, hands down low. Couldn't defend a takedown at that point either. And um, I think the later this fight goes, the more Lutz grinds on him. He's going to have success. And I think Lutz has pretty good cardio as well. So I actually like Lutz money line here. I think he's live to, to win this fight also inside the distance the later the fight goes. So I'm going to sprinkle Lutz round three. And I think he can get it done by knockout. I know he hasn't had a knockout in a long time. But the lower that, you know, the longer the fight goes, the more Melsic's going to get tired. And I believe if he's forced to grapple and get up a few times, we could just see a completely dejected and uh, gassed Melsic Bogdasarian. Let's, you know, he's always coming forward. He might not have the best, most technical striking, but it's clean. He comes forward. He, he backs you up in the smaller octagon. I think he's going to be able to get Melsic to the cage where he's going to have a lot of success as well, uh, controlling this fight. And I, I guarantee you he wins round three if it gets there. Uh, so I'm going with Tucker Lutz at this underdog price, and we've seen the market kind of move that way as well as the week's gone along. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. I like Tucker Lutz in this spot, and, and that's actually one of my favorite plays on the week. Heck yeah, man. I like the conviction. You know, the thing for me that I don't love about Lutz is I feel like his striking's a little bit stiff, a little bit slow, a little bit awkward. I felt like Pineda kind of exploited that despite his age. You know, Pineda just was faster in the early going. He's kind of explosive and comes out really aggressive. And I didn't like that for him. And Melsa kind of fights the same way. So I think it's a very binary fight here where I think if Melsa comes out the gate really early, he might just put Tucker Lutz in a body bag. But I also think Tucker Lutz, to your point, has the option and the ability, I think, to build into this fight a little bit as long as he's able to keep it going. And I think if he's able to do things that negate fighting, like push him into the fence, make him work out of awkward positions, I think that's how he wins this fight. I think he's got to make it ugly. The prettier this fight is, the more it's going to be a really dangerous spot for him in my view. But I think the dirtier he can make this fight, I think that's where he could test Melsic and, and make it a much more winnable fight. Like Kulabau, you know, found out when you put him into some uncomfortable positions, you can get the better of Melsic. But when Melsic's in the driver's seat, he can kick your head off. So he's a really dangerous guy. Peppy, how do you feel about this one, my man? Are you getting to the window here or are you passing on this fight? Um, I ended up I ended up playing some Melsic when the line came in. Like I think that when they opened him at minus two fifty, it was probably too wide. But um after all the movement that's taken place, um, I think it's finally playable for me. Um, and it comes down to um, the speed difference. I think that's going to be the story of the fight. And 
Um, I don't think Tucker is going to be able to take him down easy. Mausik is very physical. Lutz doesn't have the best wrestling. Um, and yeah, I've just never been like a Tucker Lutz guy. Um, I didn't like what I saw from him in the Pineda fight. Uh, Pineda rocked him early in the first round. His striking defense just isn't isn't that good. Um, so yeah, I think I think Mausik could potentially clown him, and I think I think it's a solid spot for me. Word up. So we got some dissension here. I feel like uh, to the point about where uh, Maryland talent is coming from, a couple people had made some comments about that. Uh, I do think that there is grappling talent that comes out of Maryland. There are good guys um, in terms of not only the grappling in D.C., but also uh, the wrestling. Guys like Kyle Snyder have come out of Maryland originally. So uh, don't sleep on Maryland, but uh, also not known particularly as like one of the hotbeds of talent. So I'll give you that that um, you know benefit of the doubt. Whereas I do think Melsic is clearly training with a higher level uh, group of people. You know, Ground Control Academy, they're doing good things. You know, they did a fine job. People do forget Tucker Lutz had three UFC level wins at this point, right? The Kevin Aguilar win, and then the two wins on Contender Series over Black Legend, also over Cody Gibson. But when you look at his overall body of work, it's not altogether that impressive. I think you could say the same thing about Melsic. They're two guys that are a little bit lower level. So it's almost about projecting talent here. And I do think Melsic is a guy, he's got the following, he's got the hair, he's got the this, the that, the look. I can kind of see where the UFC is going with that. Tucker Lutz, again, he's like an Austin Lingo, right? He, You bet him at a big plus money number because, you know, maybe people don't want to do that. But also, he's not the most marketable guy. He's probably going to be a guy that has six, eight UFC fights and washes out eventually. So those are the kind of red flags on his side. But I do think if you're looking for him to go out there, press the grappling, press the cardio. Uh, if he's getting takedowns in round one, the line's going to be adjusted for sure. So um, that that's an interesting way to look at the fight. But uh, I do think whoever wins probably looks like a big favorite in hindsight. So those ones are always fun. You either look like a genius or you look like an ass, right? Um, but next up, boys. We've got the main card kicking off. So without further ado, I want to ask the 109 people rocking with us live. Guys, drop a like on this video if you have not already. We've still got a bunch of great fights to break down, and we got a great chat to do it with. So thank you to everybody who's been keeping the chat lively uh, and rocking with us. We still got a lot of people here just after midnight Eastern. So thank you all for that. Terrence McKinney, Nazim Sadikov, talk of the town this week on Twitter. A lot of action coming in on this fight one way or the other. Seems like Terrence McKinney is going to be a very popular underdog this week. That is a source of great concern for me. You know, my initial thought on this was maybe I look to play Terrence McKinney here. And the reason I felt that way um, was because of the grappling. I felt like we still have a little bit of question marks on the Nazim Sadikov side in terms of his defensive grappling. I had heard some things that I did not like uh, from previous training partners and things like that, kind of like inside information type deal, uh, just about in the training room. They didn't think he was that high quality a grappler um, in personal experience. But then he goes out there and he's been looking good, right? And he's been winning these fights uh, from the contender series on up. So I do think he's done a decent enough job, but we talked about with the elder performance. He was down 2018 on two judges scorecard. So I'm going to let you guys kick this one off uh, and, and break this down. So Jewish better. Why don't you let us know? What do you think about Terrence McKinney, Nazim Sadikov? Interested to hear your thoughts on this volatile uh, lightweight battle. Yeah, man, volatile is definitely, definitely the word. I mean, McKinney's just the ape. Um, McKinney's just the ape, my man, and and he's gonna come out in round one. He's gonna throw. He's gonna throw caution to the wind, just like he does every time. And I think he might even try to get this fight to the ground. 
Uh, honestly, man, if I wasn't at Zim Sadikov's corner, I would tell this guy to throw a flying knee because that just seems to be McKinney's kryptonite. He's been put out with it uh, twice now. I think once by Bonfim and the first one, um, if I'm not mistaken, he got put out by, um, why is the name slipping me now? Got put out by a flying knee. I'll, I'll think of it later. But, uh, you know, he, he he's a guy who, you know, he's definitely live in the first round. He's had Drew Dober rocked in his fight before the cardio dump. It's just I think this guy has a legitimate three minutes of cardio inside of him, and, and that's why I can't get to the window with him. If you're going to take a bet on this fight, I just think it's his fight doesn't go the distance in a parlay. I think if, you know, um, we saw Elder was able to drop Sadakov early. I don't think Elder's specifically a power puncher. McKinney, you know, McKinney could crack, my man, and also has the advantage on the ground as well. You've seen him just put uh, Ziam out early in that fight. Uh, he didn't even have to get under the neck, just squeeze the face. This guy's so strong, he's able to get the job done. It was Sean Woodson, exactly. Uh, so he's got to be careful. The longer this fight goes, he gets a little sloppy on those takedown entries. And I think that's the chance for Nazim to finish him. Uh, but I've been cashing a lot on Nazim round three finish. And he's got a bunch of them in his career. I wouldn't be shocked if another one comes here. So I might take the Lutz round three finish sprinkle. And I might take the uh, Sadikov round three sprinkle as well. Because we know as the rounds go on, the price gets a little bit better, right? But we're also fading cardio in this situation. So I think this is a good uh, chance to take advantage of that. Uh, get a big number in these spots. And if, if these guys are able to last through the fire, they're definitely going to have the cardio edge, and they both have finishing ability. So I like the round three props on both those guys. Uh, Sadikov here as well. But, you know, McKinney, is he going to be able to last to round three, or is, is Sadikov going to be able to take what he gives? But uh, we, we're we yet to see. Uh, I think McKinney's probably going to try and grapple early. Is he going to be able to get Sadikov to the ground? Sadikov is at a good camp in law, law MMA. So I think his, his grappling is going to be improving. Um, I got to go with, I'm going to go with Sadikov here. I think he gets the job done late. Uh, got to bet the cardio edge in this spot for me. I feel that, man. The ABCs say always bet on cardio, right? And I do think that uh, that's the case for Sadikov here. You know, he's just a guy that's shown many more times that he can go to round three, that he can push to a decision. And those are the kind of things that you want to see from guys, especially in the lightweight division where it's not practical to try and finish everybody. But then you see the Charles Oliveira and you see these guys that are a little bit anomalous, right? And I do think Terrence McKinney has shown to be that, right? Matt Frivola, he's only been knocked out twice right? He's gone against a bunch of power punchers. They thought a bunch of times, like this guy's going to get caught on the chin again, but it doesn't happen to him every time. A guy like Terrence McKinney, he touched him once and it was over. Drew Dober, you know, he's a guy that's historically had a great chin. And I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of the damage to his chin that Fabola was able to capitalize on had been done by Terrence McKinney as well. He beat him within an inch of his life and gassed himself out completely and let him back into the fight. So I do think Terrence McKinney is the architect of his own demise more often than not. And I thought Bonfim, who's a patient guy, that was a perfect opponent for him where, you know, it kind of leads into his style. Whereas this is a fight that I think is a little bit harder to project out. So I'm curious what my guy Pepe Sylvia thinks about this one, brother. I like that round three look for um, Sadikov. Um, I'll probably play that um, by the end of the night. But um, at, at the current line, I don't, I don't really think there's, I don't know. I just, I, I like the Sadikov side, but you, you know you're going to have to go through, like, um, all the danger in round one. So it just makes more sense just to live bet him. But 
Um, I was part of the line getting flipped when the when he opened at plus 125. So I'm just going to sit on that, and then I'll probably live bet him after round one, and then also bet the round three prop. Um, I'm not a big McKinney believer. Um, I was on Bombfeem and Bombfeem round two KO in his last fight, which was just you so good. I was that, on that yeah. too. Good shit. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm continuing to fade McKinney. So it's a system play for our guy Peppy fading McKinney here. Um, I think that for me, if I was looking to play the McKinney side, I'm looking to get on a McKinney round one sub at plus six fifty. Um, you know, maybe even a McKinney round two sub. You know, when it when it comes to submissions, it's often going to be in the first two rounds because by round three, people start to get tired, people start to get really sweaty. But in the first two rounds, you could break somebody in that amount of time from top pressure. Um, and also, after you've been grappling for that long, you start to get tired and you're just like, F this. I'm going for self-preservation. If I make it four more minutes on his back, the fight's over. So I think that that's something to be weary of. Um, you know, for the round three finish though, Sadikov may be looking to finish the fight because he could be down two rounds as well. So I think that that for round three as a look is a great incentive, right? He was just down in his last fight, had to go out there and get the round three finish and proved that he could do it. We talk a lot on this show about proof of concept. We have proof of concept out the wazoo that Sadikov can make a comeback victory. So I think those are the props that you want to target on the Sadikov side here. Um, I think there's definitely ways to play this fight, but for me, I haven't gotten to the window yet. Um, I was looking at McKinney when it was plus 125 and those things, those numbers keep getting evaporated off the board. Every time I looked yesterday, the McKinney line was lower and lower. So it feels like he may be the mush of the week. I'm a little bit worried about that. The last thing I want to say though, is we do have one former UFC fighter who's a friend of the show and his name is Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. And he did tell us that Terrence McKinney has been working like a savage for this fight. He said he really wants this win. And um, he said that he's going to try and show up with his very best in this fight. He, he put in a really hard training camp. So those kind of things, I think, are some signs of positivity. But with that being said, I'm I'm leaving this one on the cutting room floor. And I might just join our guys on some uh, late round props here for the Sadikov side. Because the one thing I love about Ray Longo is his cornering and his game planning. He will not be going into this fight like, hey, Nazim, go stand and bang with him in round one if you could. And by the way, he told that to Favola too, but Favola is a guy that just does his own thing. He wants to be in there banging. That's what he likes to do. Whereas I feel like in this fight, Nazim is probably going to be a little bit more reserved in round one, lose that first round. You can get that live entry like Pepe uh, in all likelihood, if that's what you're looking for. And you can avoid some of that danger factor from McKinney in round one as well. But the prices are just really horrible. Like even McKinney round one sub should be probably like plus a thousand for me to get involved. But that's just kind of my gut level lean is if he wins, it's that plus 650 sub round one. And if he doesn't, um, you know, then it's probably Sadikov round two or three. Yeah, I just wanted to answer. I just wanted to answer one of the comments. What I meant by he's an ape is just the fighting style. He's a he's a gorilla. The way he comes out, he fights like a gorilla. Uh, no racial intentions there. So I just wanted to clear up that comment real quick. The the fighting style. He comes out like a gorilla. He's an ape. That's what we say about guys that are round one or bust. Uh, if you ever seen two gorillas fight, that's Terrence McKinney right there. So that's exactly what I meant by that. Understood. Understood. And he is going to have the big reach advantage here. That's the one other thing I would point to. So when you've seen McKinney kind of get those quick win bonuses, it's like he hits the guy from outside the guy's range and the guy's not expecting it. Sadikov is from the same gym, kind of does that same kind of stationary guard up here. That's the other one thing that where I would give some credence to the McKinney knockout, but 
it's just you ABC say always bet on cardio, right? And like this guy has had predictably bad cardio to the point where the round two finish against Bonfim seemed like an inevitability where Bonfim's like, which finishing move should I use? Should I do the spinning head kick? Should I do the jump knee? And uh, the jump knee seems to be the, the jump knee, baby. Choice. So if you guys got that bet MGM, they normally let you bet on the specific sub. If they let you bet on uh, ends by flying knee knockout at, at 50 to one, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth the stab here more than anywhere else. But we can move along to the next one here, guys. We've got Brazilian Norma Dumont taking on Chelsea Chandler here in her, uh, what is this, sophomore UFC outing. She got taken down by Julisha Stoliarenko. Honestly, I'm not going to hold that too much against her. Uh, Stoliarenko, primary grappler, what she does well in MMA, she does everything else pretty poorly. And she got her to the ground. She went for that patented armbar that has won uh, me money, you know, several times, like the plus 500 uh, ends by sub or, or wins by sub. And then I think it was plus 750 for her to win by sub in round one. Same night that Jalen Turner won by sub in round one. I had a little round robin on that. Nice $2 to win 200 something, right? So she's done me well in the past. That's why I didn't give Chandler such a hard time there. She actually defended the position. I was stunned, right? In WMMA, when somebody's in an arm bar, the fight's over, okay? But she gets out. Uh, she did her job there. And she threw like 80 strikes in the first round. So I just feel like this is a girl that is extremely violent. She's slow. She's hittable. But I feel like she's tough. She wants to be there. And I just don't feel sold on the big norm side, dude. Like when you lose to Macy Chason, it's not a terrible loss, but it also makes me question when you lose to uh, what's her name, Megan Anderson via finish. It makes me question. And I just think Chelsea Chandler is a violent girl who's going to come out here and try and fight for your money. So is she outskilled? Maybe. Is she as technical? I don't know. But even from the first time I saw uh, Norma Dumont fought Tynara Lisboa, the girl who debuted a little while back. I bet Tynara Lisboa ITD. I bet her in that fight. I, I liked her on that side. But I had said from that first fight with Big Norm, she beat Big Norm's ass. And then Big Norm memed a sub out of nowhere in that fight. Because her striking when she's under pressure, it, it's just okay. Like, it's very average. And I think that against bad girls, she looks great. But I think that even against uh, Aspen Ladd in that main event, I bet her there. I bet her by knockout, boys. Do you know how embarrassing that was when she doesn't even attempt any strikes against a girl who's not fighting? I was like, what, what is happening? So for me, I just feel like Big Norm's content to do nothing at times. And I feel like in this fight, Chelsea Chandler ain't never content to do nothing. She'll make mistakes. She'll do things stupid. She'll make you scream at the television. But if it was chalk, I'd just say nothing. I feel like I would probably end up leaning towards Chandler, Chandler ITD here. Um, that's my gut. I see quit in Norma, says our friend of the show, YBB. So uh, great shout as well. Sharpest chat in the game. Appreciate everybody um, for commenting. Peppy, let us know. What do you think here? What do you got in this I'm I'm actually just gonna completely pass on this fight as of now. Um, Wise sage. <laughs> yeah, Dumont Dumont's got the faster hands and she has solid takedown defense. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to bet against Chelsea Chandler. Um, she she looked like an absolute savage in that last fight. Um, and I I think she's just gonna keep getting better and better. You know, she's still so young in her career that. Um, I think the changes are going to be more profound. Um, and yeah, she's just, uh, she's a really gritty fighter who, you know, those aren't really the kind of fighters I like to, uh, I like to fade. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just passing though. Yeah. I really think that that's probably a wise move here. I think it's a dogger pass situation. You know, that's always how I try and approach these kind of, um, fights and, 
I bet Norm is a dog before, but I just can't imagine getting behind Norm at chalk. I, I don't know that she does anything all that well. She's just normally fighting girls at a pretty low level, and she's physical, you know, physical for WMMA. But I just I, I don't know um, if I'm really sold on on Norma. What do you think about this one, man? Fight, my dude. What happened? Fight, Pepe. Fight. Where you at? Fight. Uh, as my my dude Gambino for Instagram will say, he said the white van. The white van came and picked them up. <laughs> so they got my dude Pepe. Hopefully he's okay. All right, he's back. We're good. Um, but on this fight, man, I got to go with the Chandler side as the dog. I took her at plus 130, and I'm just basing this strictly off volume. Just look at judges in, in MMA. They really don't know what they're looking at. So when you give them something to score, that's what they're going to score. And I think this fight winds up going the distance. And the more the more volume that Chandler's throwing, we've seen Dumont in the past, like you said, versus Aspen Ladd, who didn't want to fight. She's not throwing anything. So the volume automatically goes to Chandler, who in her first UFC fight landed eight strikes per minute. I think that's an unsustainable number. But with her volume, it's quite possible, man. Uh, I think she's going to get hit at certain points in this fight, but I think she's just going to keep coming forward. Dumont doesn't have the power to put her out. And I think even if Chandler does wind up getting on top, I know Norma's uh, you know, takedown defense is pretty good. She's got a, you know, big behind. So that definitely helps get her to the ground. Though I think on top, you know, she's going to have the control for Chandler here. Uh, Norma, while she does have the, the, I guess you could say higher level of competition. Can you really say it's that like Ashley Evans Smith, not one of the best. Um, uh, like she fought Aspen lad. Aspen lad didn't even want to fight Felicia Spencer. <clears throat> wasn't that a split That's decision? That's probably her too. best career win, <laughs> honestly. And, and it was a split decision, knocked out by Megan Anderson. So it's not out of the realm, like you said, Chelsea Chandler by finish. I think that's a sharp bet, my dude, Liam. Um, you know, we've seen these fights, you know, not go the distance before as well. So go ahead, my man. Le I'm gonna let you, you cook reminded, here. I like the Chandler you just side. Reminded me, bro. You reminded me of something sharp when you said that. So a couple weeks back, you guys will remember I was on Macy Barber on this show. I was on Macy Barber inside the distance. I was on Macy Barber by knockout. I didn't think Amanda Hebas had a great chin. I didn't like how she handles pressure when she starts to get hit. And I felt like Macy Barber has a rare attribute for WMMA, which is power. Chelsea Chandler has a different attribute. I don't know that she has that much power, but she has no fucking off in her, right? She just wants to be on you the whole fight, getting after it and trying to finish you like a dog. And so I feel like that in this case is, is what I'm substituting for power enthusiasm, right? So like it could blow up in my face, but here's one thing I noticed boys, Chelsea Chandler in her second UFC fight is plus 460 to win the fight by knockout in WMMA. That's a suspect line, bro. That line is stinky, bro. I feel like this is a fight where I'm not even saying, I'm not even advocating betting that I'm just saying, I feel like Chelsea Chandler is going to finish this fight. Um, that's my my sneaky play here, and uh, I like her to get it done. So dog or pass situation for me, and uh, haven't bet it, but would only consider a bet on the dog. At he said in the comments, too, Dumont got dropped by Carol Rosa in her last fight. So Carol the Goat Rosa? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Carol blew a ticket for me when uh, I had her against Sarah McMahon, so still never going to be forgiven for that. I was yelling at her in person to get the elbows going, and she just couldn't. But <laughs> with that being said, Let's move to the next fight here, guys, because I'm excited to talk about a 185-pound bout. These boys were snubbed. They were supposed to be the co-main event. Uh, but unfortunately, 
you know, nobody gave a shit about this fight. So they were like, you know what, we'll move it down. We'll bring Jack Della up the card. You know, people are talking all about Jack Della this week. So understandable. And also, you know, they put the uh, Prado and Zaitar fight in the featured bout of the evening. I think that that's pretty simple, right? Two guys that are going to go out there and probably nuke each other in the first round. So they want that to be in front of a lot of eyeballs. They want to put that in prime positioning. But this fight right here, 185 pounds, one of the heavier bouts on the card. And I think what we're looking at here is a couple of misprices. And, um, you know, we're going to have some dissension on the panel. So out of love and respect, I'm going to first kick it to my brother, Pepe Silvia, uh, because he's got a take on this fight. And he's a very sharp individual. So I'm curious to hear what he has to say. Um, yeah, I, I I like the park side. Um, and it a lot of it is be is kind of just a fade on uh Durayev. I don't think he's as legit as people make him out to be. Um I think he's small for the division. Um I don't like his cardio. Um Park's gonna have the the quicker hands, the sharper hands. Um and yeah I just I think I think it's a pretty good stylistic matchup for Park. I don't I don't see Durayev having um grappling success against him and even if he does have grappling success early i don't think i think his he's he doesn't have the same kind of cardio that park does so yeah i think i think i like park's fight iq too he's he's really smart um he just i don't know he he always makes the right decisions in there and you know he's like I know there's there's been times where he's been a big favorite and he, he fought close like the Anders fight, but he was a minus two fifty in that spot. Now we're only paying minus one fifty and I think it's an easier fight for him. Anders has huge strength and was able to hold him up against the fence. I don't think is gonna be able to do that. So yeah, I, I like Park in this spot. Fair play, my man. I do think Park is one of my favorite fighters at 185. Like just historically, I've had a good read on the guy, bet on him a bunch. Um, so I bet him uh, plus 120, I think, against Stefan and Chukwe. I thought that was a great spot. Um, in the past, I bet him against uh, Eric Anders, six units at minus 200. So you can imagine I was a little bit fucking nervous, my man. I was like, uh, bro, why are we not taking him down over and over? Why are we just going banging it out on the feet with a freaking uh, NFL player. You know, I'm kidding, of course. But just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why why would we do that um, long-term? That was my concern from a fight IQ standpoint. But you're right. He's shown different abilities to beat different guys, beat some guys on the feet, took some guys to the mat. Um, but I'm curious to hear what you think about this one, uh, Jewish better, before I give my diatribe. Man, go for it, dude. Honestly, I don't have a really great read on this fight. I know you guys are differing, so I kind of want to sit back, just listen to what you guys have to say. We got three guys on here, but all of us are sharp in our own ways. I'll be 100% honest with you. I don't have an edge on this fight. I don't have a read on this one, so I'm not going to sit here and talk over and over again about what we know about these guys. So go ahead, my man, Liam. The floor is all yours. This is your show. Uh Speak on the ride, my man. All right, brother. Well, then I'm going to put it down, right? At this point, it's become clear, right? If Pepe likes the park side, then I have to like the derive side, right? If we're going to disagree. And for me, I've had good reads on both of these guys throughout their UFC run. So, um, you know, when I, I, I'm almost reluctant to bet on this fight in that way, right? Because it's two guys you like. Sometimes your bias can get in the way. There are two guys that have made you money. You know, it can be a little bit of a nuisance. Whereas even last week, Jalen Turner is a guy that's made me a ton of money in the past, but then I've lost a bunch of money on Dan Hooker. So I knew going in, I had biases. I just ended up leaving that one alone. 
But in, in this case, right, I'm looking at this fight and I say to myself, Albert Duraev is a guy that was priced minus 400 coming into the contender series. And I bet Kyle Bittencourt three units at plus 300. Dude, is that the worst bet of all time? Because it's out there. Like if you go through the whole Rolodex of every bet in the history of the UFC, three units on uh, Kyle Bittencourt at plus 300 is right up there with the worst that you'll ever see, right? But it's I, I can make the exact case for why I made it from back then because I remember it distinctly. I was having a great run on Contender Series. I was betting a lot of dogs. And I said to myself, Duraev hasn't fought in years. You know, he'd been knocked out three times in the past. I was like, this is a guy I cannot trust in this fight with some inactivity. So he's going to come in here and he's going against a guy who could really grapple in Kyle Bittencourt. I was like, he's going to get smoked. I was like, and if he doesn't get smoked, it's going to be a really competitive fight. Ladies and gentlemen, in 75 seconds, he had not only taken Kyle Bittencourt to the ground, he had used several different passes to go from one dominant position to another. Then he stepped over into the like leg mount, rode him off the cage, was in the full mount, hit him with 78 of 83 uh, total strikes in that fight. And he literally was controlling the wrist and just landing unobstructed jaw punches over and over and over. And Kyle Bittencourt was tough and he knows how to grapple. So he got out of the position several times. I believe he tore his own uh, ribs trying to get out of one of the positions. You hear him audibly go, oh, when he moves out of one of the positions. Then Dariah beats the ever-loving hell out of him more and then chokes him with no remorse. It was a hellacious beatdown. And I say all this to say, at that time, the stock on Dariah could not have been higher. He is calling out Israel Adesanya in the cage, right? Like he is literally like, give me anybody. And Dariah has been in Vegas. He's been training with these guys and he was very confident. He had trained with Buckley. He's like, I've smoked Buckley in the room a million times. And he was overconfident. I do not think he prepared as hard as he could ever should have for that fight. I think he rested on his laurels and he paid dearly. By the way, bet Buckley there plus 185 and laughed as I cashed it. It was glorious, right? But like, if you look, uh, there's a guy, um, Napoleon Blown Apart is his name on Twitter. He describes fighters as bipedal refrigerators. The person that most comes to mind when I think bipedal refrigerator is Joaquin Buckley, right? He's got the weirdest build of all time. He's like a little bit more stout, but he's built like round in every direction. Like he looks like he couldn't fit in an elevator, right? That guy is really hard to just out grapple easily. And most of the guys that have ever beaten him have knocked him out on the feet. That's just the truth of his career. He's a little bit susceptible to getting knocked out on the feet. He likes to trade. He's in and out and he bounces into shots. But if you don't do that, he's not an easy guy to beat. So I felt like that's not really reflective of how this fight's going to go. Jin Young Park, I love him to death because he always goes out there and grapples these guys at 185 that can't grapple a lick. He takes them down. He beats them up. He takes the path of least resistance and it's beautiful. And I think in this fight, he cannot outgrapple Albert Duraev. Albert Duraev the other day posted a picture. I laughed so hard when I saw it on Instagram. It said, uh, the greatest grappler in the world and Gordon Ryan. And it was a picture of him and Gordon Ryan. Literally, dude, this guy is the most confident guy in the world. No doubt about it. Albert Duraev believes in Albert Duraev. You listen to his interviews this week, calm, cool, and collected. And he said, I'm not used to getting split decisions like I did in my last fight. He said, I'm not used to going to decisions. He said, I'm used to finishing people. And he said, this camp was dedicated to strength and conditioning, making sure my cardio is up there and going out there and getting the finish and showing I deserve a top 15 fight. He's 34 years of age. There's no more fucking around. There's no more resting on your laurels. If he's going to make any progress in his career, and by the way, he was a championship level guy overseas in Russia. So I think he could make that step up, but it's got to be right now. He's 34 at middleweight. There's no more time to waste. 
So I think this is going to be the best derive can put forward. And for me, the thing that's fascinating is he's gone from being a guy who was bankably minus 400, opened a favorite in every other UFC fight. Here, he opened a slight dog on bet online. He opened a pick him. And now the line has run out all the way in favor of Park. So for me, I I wrote down my numbers before I looked at the odds here. And I had derived minus 185, swear to God. So I just was like, when I saw the number, I was like, man, I just can't see that. Because when you look at the two losses for Park to the point of uh, Billy, he says uh, 65% of Park losses in round two. That's not even the point I was going to make. I was going to make the point that when Park loses in the UFC, it's by finish and it's on the ground. And the one thing for me about this fight is I think Darayev is the more likely guy to get takedowns in round one. And I think that Darayev on the ground is a menace in the first round to finish the fight. Kopilov is like a, a 205-pound kickboxer. And by the way, he's looked aces since then, right? Beat the shit out of Puna, made him look like an amateur. So I was like, maybe Kopilov isn't as bad as people think. And I, by the way, I bet eight point something units, all the all things considered, on Darayev in that fight. And I wanted to cry. I was like, this is so ugly. This is terrifying. Why is he striking with him? But all the minutes of that fight until he got his eye broken, he was dominating. He was literally styling on the guy. That's why he was like, you know, out there just moving, kicking, grooving. I feel like in this fight, he can be competitive in the striking. And I do think on the ground, he's a menace. So give me Darayev here. Uh, I think Darayev round one at plus 750 is live. I think Darayev uh, KO at plus 10, 10 to one. It, I, I think that's mispriced, right? We're at a 185 pound weight class where, you know, a lot of fights end by knockout as a percentage. Um, and you're not giving any credit to this guy, Darayev, who again, in, in a fight that ended in the first round, he landed 78 strikes. That's, that's the same thing we're giving credit to Chelsea Chandler for. And this isn't, uh, you know, women's fighting at 135 or 145 pounds. This is 185 pounds where guys can hurt each other with one shot. So, um, those are the things that I like about Darayev here, but that's my diatribe aside. I think Park is a great fighter. I think he'll win more UFC fights, but he's had this pattern of win three, lose one. And I feel like it's every time he fights another good grappler and he lost to Fluffy Hernandez, no skin off your nose. That's a, a loss that's aged okay, but it was because he got taken down six times. And when he fought Eric Anders, the takedowns were three to zero for Anders. And when he fought uh, Gregory Rodriguez, who, by the way, I bet Robocop at minus 108 in that fight too, he got taken down twice, no takedowns for him. So I feel like when he can't get takedowns, he doesn't have that dynamism to his game. Even he's going strike for strike with Robocop. Robocop's out on his feet. And RoboCop was literally able to just recover and then knock him out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that was just an insane win because I'm sitting there with a minus 108 on RoboCop. Like, all right, it's over. Ready to rip it up. And then he wins the fight. And I'm just like, Jen Young Park has recorded zero knockdowns in the UFC. That's my ultimate problem with him is I don't know that he has the power to hurt Darayev like all these other guys. These other guys had to break Darayev's face to beat him in fairness. So I'm like, I think that absolutely Darayev can get knocked out in this fight. But if that does not happen, I think the Raya is going to end up looking like, uh, you know, close to a pick him here at worst. So that that's how I feel. Um, but it's a hell of a fight. It's a great fight. Two guys that have a similar level of experience. So please fire back, push back on my bullshit narrative because uh, I had the floor. Yeah, just some some counter arguments um, like going back to the Buckley fight. Um, Buckley's a 170 or and with poor takedown defense and derived could barely get any grappling going against him. Like you go back and look at um, Buckley against Logan Storley. He gets like completely outclassed, um, taken down repeatedly, held down. Um, granted, he's probably, 
he's definitely improved since then, but Buckley's always had a weakness for, well, just watch the Imovov fight. Imovov took him down whenever he wanted to and held him down for the first 10 minutes of the fight. Um, and Derive couldn't do anything um, grappling-wise against Buckley. And then you look at the Rodriguez fight, and Park was close to knocking Rodriguez out on the feet. I don't, I don't think Derive is going to be able to eat punches like that. Um, so that those were other factors that were in my, um, in my cap. Hell yeah, man. I I think it's totally fair, right? Like, it's not like I'm out to lunch on why Park could win this fight, right? It's basically a cardio cap. ABC say always bet on cardio. I think Park probably has the better cardio. But I also think that we've seen Park slow down, right? Like, I thought that the RoboCop fight, uh, albeit from damage, I thought that was an example of it. But I thought the Fluffy fight, it wasn't like he was a worse grappler than Fluffy. It was just the fact that Fluffy was able to compete with him so hard in the grappling eventually wore him down and I felt like he kind of just broke in that fight I don't know if he got hurt I don't know what happened but he kind of just like stopped trying to get back up and fight and so those are the kind of things that make me nervous for him here but um he's a good fighter so I won't be mad whoever wins here but uh I think Albert derive just a couple couple misprice lines here um in terms of the the last thing I'll mention here is Albert Duraev went from being um, like chalk prices like 60 percent ITD in every fight in the UFC like his first three fights out to now he's like plus 325 on the ITD as well, which just feels a little bit wide to me. Um, so shout out to MMA Triple J, another really sharp guy in the chat. Duraev, uh to have the most takedowns for SGP. I do not have DK, but I do think um, that that is a potential way to play it. I also don't have uh, access to the SGPs, but shout out. A lot of sharp people here with different ways to play it. Our guy Furio is on Duraev as well. Uh, Buckley low to the ground sometime. Uh, sometimes those fighters hard to take down. I agree with you, Thomas. So shout out to the sharp chat uh, that is keeping us going as well. But next up, guys. Do you, do you like? Uh, do you have any? Do you have any um, uh, thoughts on the total? Because the under two and a half is plus one ten, plus one twenty around. Um, were you thinking it's going to go to a decision or a finish is more likely? I think this fight is not going to decision. Um, I do think it's a fight where I don't have the strongest read on the total. Like I feel better about Dariah as a side than I do about, um, the fight ending inside the distance. But I think that Park has a chance to win the fight inside the distance at a decent clip. And I think that Dariah has a decent chance to win it inside the distance as well. Park, his losses have been ITD. Dariah, his losses have been ITD. You know, that's... Uh, what stands out to me. And then you look at Chitty, he's a black belt on the ground with like a really long, awkward frame. Um, so uh, although that's not like a great performance for Derive, I can kind of understand why you're tentative there. Also coming off a knockout loss, you know, I felt like he needed to be tentative against Chitty. Whereas I feel like in this fight, we could just see more aggression from him, which could lead to a finish on either side. So um, yeah, I definitely lean towards the under here. Fight doesn't go. And the, the one thing I had mentioned as well was like Dariah round one is plus 750. I, I feel like he does slow down a little bit over the course of the fights, but that round one against Kyle Bittencourt, I encourage people to go back and rewatch it because it, it was only a couple of years ago. And guys, he looks like a fucking dynamo. That, so like, that's the, to me where, did he get off steroids? Like what happened? Like, cause my guy used to be insane. 75 seconds in, he's mounting this guy and guys, I know jujitsu, right? Like of all things that I feel like I, I know a decent bit when I'm watching it, I've made a bunch of money on submission props, for example, but I watched Kyle Bittencourt's gi jujitsu matches. The guy's not bad. And he looked like an amateur. So I was just like, 
what what happened to derive when he's not taking down buckley to your point you know it just felt to me like such a weird underperformance and i feel like as long as he gets back to some form he can uh, win ufc fight so let's see but next up man we got an atman azatar fight against francisco prado and I'll definitely tell you, I'm leaning towards this fight not going to decision, right? Uh, on the one hand, you've got Azaitar, who I think people are, you know, unsure of what to make of this guy. He's been very inactive. He had the what's in the bag incident, right? So he's kind of had this colorful UFC run. But you look at the guys that he's fought. When he fought a good fighter, he got smoked in the first round. When he fought guys that were really low level, he looked okay against those guys. So I feel like that's the Azaitar story. A little bit hard to know what to make of the guy. He's 33 years of age. Seems pretty one note. He's a big power puncher. He likes to circle away from the power hand of his opponent and then wing big shots. But when you approach him with more sophistication, like Matt Frivola, when you're throwing corralling kicks, when you're preventing this guy from moving, when you're backing him up to the fence, he looked to me like a very average basic striker who was getting caught and he didn't take the shots particularly well. Um, so Matt Frivola beat his ass, honestly. Like that was not a competitive fight at all on rewatch. Matt Frivola got hit with one left hook cleanly in that fight. UFC stats says 10 strikes. They're lying. Go back and rewatch it yourself. Maybe three shots at most. Like Matt Frivola put on a clinic, slipped every shot. And Matt Frivola, by the way, like what's the big knock on him is he can get flash knocked out but he absolutely danced circles around this guy. So for me, that's a huge concern. Then on the other side here, uh, Francisco Prado, he went out there against Jamie Malarkey. He's not the highest level UFC guy, but he's a vet. He's a guy who's had a bunch of UFC fights. He's had wins and losses. He's been around. He's gone 15 minutes and he got out grappled there. Do I expect that Ahmed Azaitar is going to out grapple him here? No, I do think sub at, at plus 1500, you could do worse for uh, narrative-based sprinkles, right? Uh, Zaitar does have three wins by sub. He could t uh, potentially club and sub this guy. But Prado, for me, is probably just a guy who's more durable. Looks like the crimson chin, right? Kind of got that big face, 21 years of age, tough South American type kid. He could definitely get boinked on the chin here, but I just feel like he'll probably take the shots and recover better given his age. So for me, uh, you know, I, I'm probably leaning towards the Prado side here at a pick and price. Um, I'm not super bullish on this fight. For me, I'd more so lean towards the fight not going in the under because I don't believe in his ITAR's cardio. He had free shots against Pakalin, just free shot after free shot. Granted, it was hot in that arena. I will give him that benefit of the doubt. But he's also like calling on the crowd and taking recovery breaths because my man was having cardiac arrest like three minutes into that fight. So Pakalin was just a, a free target. He was coming in reaching for double collar ties like this. Like th that's just a guy asking to be knocked out. He's never fought since. Right. I feel like he got easy fights. Then he made a mistake with that bag incident. And then the UFC has been putting him in apex shows that nobody cares about to get knocked out or against Frivola in New York city. I just don't, I feel like they're a little bit out on this experiment. So um, for me, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like Prado here, but no strong conviction. Uh, Pepe, we'll kick it to you, my man. How do you feel brother? Um, so yeah, it seems like uh, everyone I talk to is on the um, Amman side, and like they, their main um, argument is like a market uh, overcorrection because he was a favorite over Frivola, and now he's a dog to Prado. But I um I like the Prado side, um, but I didn't play his money line. Let me see how I played it. I played the under one and a half Prado KO and um, Prado round one. Um, I, I thought those were all solid looks um, under one and a half, probably my favorite. I kind of wish I went bigger. Um, I only played it to win one unit. 
Um, but I think that's a super solid look. Um, you know, Prado, Prado's super young. He's going to be improving, um, going to be getting a lot better. And I think this is just such a winnable fight for him. Um, even if he gets tagged early, looks like he has a really good chin, uh, based on the malarkey fight. Um, so yeah, I, I like him. I like him, uh, to win by knockout. I love it when we're on the same side of these fights, my man. Uh, and to your point, though, here's the thing that I think people missed, right? Frivola did not open the dog. The market pushed this guy as Zaytar to a favorite. And then Sharp Resistance stood there and was like, Frivola plus money will have that, right? Because I feel like at the end of the day, Frivola can wrestle, can grapple, can go the full 15 minutes, can beat proven top 15 lightweight guys, and can knock you the hell out. So, like, he's clearly the side at plus money against somebody like a Zaytar who can knock you the hell out. That's, like, his selling points, right? So, like, fading round one knockout guys, historically pretty plus EV method of, of betting. But um, also, it can make you look like a fool, right? So, if you're not prepared to look like a fool, pick something else to do as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because betting on underdogs, you're going to look like a fool sometimes. But when you win, oh, it's so glorious because they look like the bigger fool having laid the chalk out where you just have to put down your amount that you're willing to lose. That's how I like to approach this betting situation. So uh, big blessings, my man. I like where your head's at. And I think we may even see plus money on Prado, which is why I've been kind of just holding my hands on this fight and waiting to see where this number settles out at. Cause I think there is going to be some bullishness on a Zaytar. He's the much more well-known name coming in here. Prado is just a guy, right? He's 21 years of age, hasn't built up that name, that persona uh, that people can recognize. But could I mention that uh, our guy Ribovix last week is Argentinian and our girl, Elon Perez, is Argentinian. They're in fights they could win. And now we got this other Argentinian guy in a featured bout on the top of the main card. I don't know. I'm just starting to notice some patterns here. Uh, and with that being said, we'll kick into my guy, Jewish, better. Do you notice any patterns here, brother? <laughs> Yo, man, you're hilarious, dude. Uh, nah, I, I think both these guys are absolutely basura. Uh, Prado's pre-UFC tape was just uh, to be lacked. Honestly, I think everybody and their mother was in the under on the under two and a half in that fight um, versus Malarkey. Winds up going other way. I had uh, also I had Frivola as the dog versus a Zaytar. That was one of the craziest lines I ever seen. Uh, I was so glad I was able to get that one in because just the Zaytar was unproven. His only knockouts came against guys that we know who have no chin, like Kama Worthy. Um, who just gets put out by a gust of wind. So he's got about a minute of cardio, I feel like, until Prado starts to take over. Regardless of how good I think Prado is, I don't think he's the best. I actually think a Zaytar, if he wanted to, would be able to take this guy down and uh, maybe even hold him there because Prado's ground game is where, you know, he's shown the weakness in the past. But I do think this fight doesn't go the distance like like we've been saying. Uh, I think the reason the last fight didn't go the distance may, may have to do with a lot of money coming in you know, I don't know. I, I'm just playing around, but I think a lot of it had to do with the, the Prado really didn't want to. I think he knew he was there to lose and he was just comfortable not getting finished. Malarkey knew Prado was dangerous as, as hell, too. He said, as I towards the truth. Um, no, no, he's 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 kidding. He's kidding. He wants other people to think no, I know, I know, the I know. truth for future phase. <laughs> no, I know. I know, brother. I read the comments. All good. I uh. I just think this is a fight to stay away from. But the the more I think about it, man, if he's able to avoid that early knockout, he's durable. 
I don't think this dude's going to be able to bring a wrestling game plan. Does he have any submissions on his record as ITAR? He does, but from a while ago. He's been fighting yeah. for a long time, but Man. he hasn't submitted anybody of note. That's what I would say. Prado is still young, though, so he could just be making the improvements. I think he's more durable. And you're only getting a minus 120 on him, so that's not the worst line. I actually kind of like Prado in the spot. It reminds me of a fight upcoming um, upcoming soon that I'll, I'll, I'll talk about next week. But I actually kind of like this minus 120 line on Prado. Um, I'm going to do more film on this one and, and take a look at it. But just from market perception, I do, like Pepe said earlier in this one, um, a lot of people I feel like are on a Zytar, and I, I don't really get it. Kind of reminds me of that last Frivola fight. Obviously, Frivola... A lot better than um, a lot better than um, Prado, but I I think I think this guy could get the job done here. Uh, my my money's probably going to be on Prado by the end of the week. Fair enough, my man. You know, with Prado, he's got all the anthropomorphic advantages. He's the larger fighter. He's the much younger fighter. The thing that scares me is Latin American regional scene. You know, sometimes the grappling's not up to snuff, just to be frank, right? And I think that in this case, you know, Prado showed in his last fight it was okay, but Malarkey's really not an aggressive submission hunter, which is like the thing that has defined his career downwards. He doesn't have any way to put people away. You know, unless he hurts somebody on the feet because they have a bad chin like I'm a worthy or, you know, Devontae Smith or somebody like that. It's just going to be always an uphill battle, in my opinion, for guys like uh, Malarkey. So that that's something to watch out for. But in this in this fight, I feel like somebody's going to sleep and Prado, uh, based on historical data, is the guy you should probably be looking at uh, at the number. Next up, Jack Della Maddalena is taking this co-main event slot against Basil Hafez. He wanted to get back on the card. He wanted to have some kind of action, some kind of opportunity, and he's getting his wish. But, you know, all things considered, probably a little bit tougher than the guy you'd want to meet on short notice. Um, you know, with Basil Hafez, he's a guy that's gone out there and avenged earlier career losses. like to see that. Uh, that shows improvement over time. It also shows a guy that, um, you know, wants to get towards his goals. Um Run, running away from a problem is one thing. Running back into it head on, whole different thing. So I think that speaks well to his character. He's got a big assignment here, right? Coming in on short notice, maybe he doesn't have the cardio to push for the heavy 15-minute pace. He does train at elevation, um, which I think could only be to his benefit here. Does seem like a guy who takes his career really seriously, but he's probably going to get battered in the boxing ranges of this fight, I, I would have to assume. Jack Della, very good hand speed. Um, very good combination punching goes to the body as well has really hurt a lot of guys in the early going of his fights. Um, and he's been getting more comfortable inside the octagon. The things that I, I think are to his benefit. I've heard guys like Craig Jones say that, you know, he's very powerful in the grappling. He's very talented in the grappling. Um, so positive notes from really good grapplers about Jack Della's abilities. However, he also has the eye test, right? It's also what we see in the octagon. I did not tout Ramazan Eve. But I did think, wow, you know, interesting note. Ramazan Amiv almost got to that same kind of front head position where we saw another guy threaten him from, which was Angelusa from the head and arm. It's like two variations of the same position. One's from the front, one's from the side. And I feel like Jack Dell is still a little bit liable in those positions. Maybe he's tough and he's, uh, you know, clever enough to get out of some of them. But if you get caught by a guy who's got really big arms and he's strong as shit and he grabs a hold of you, he could pop your head like a pimple, you know? So that's the thing about Hafez that I think is a little interesting here. Uh, I'm curious if they've released any props. I don't think so uh, on this fight. 
Yeah, they have not, to my knowledge. So if I saw a, a Hafez subline at a really ridiculous price, that might be the only way I get involved here. I do think he has some outside chance of knocking out Jack. I don't think Jack's invincible, right, just because he's a good boxer. The one thing I think is inherently more volatile about guys like Jack Della than guys like um, you know Shavkat and these other fighters is people that can implement a grappling-heavy game plan. Those guys tend to be really reliable at chalk, whereas guys that are just striking – Think about Guram Kutateladze, right? He looked like the better guy, but he's striking the whole time. So then at some point, the, the fight gets volatile. He makes a mistake. It could cost him the whole fight. Guys that can grapple can really give themselves more coverage. They can make it a much more uh, safe fight and a less volatile fight. So for me, that's the kind of thing where I don't like laying big 600 minus 6XX for a guy who his best win in the UFC is who? You know, Ramazan and Meev. Uh, Randy Brown, Andy Roberts, Randy Brown. I mean, these are all guys that have clear flaws to their game. So they are good. They're not bad fighters at all. He's beaten the better guys, no doubt about it. But has he beaten guys that say he can reliably win this fight, you know, nine times out of 10 that I'm not so sure about. So I think eight times out of 10. Okay, no problem. You know, he's the better guy. He's more proven. He's gone out there and finished guys like this on short notice before, but nine times out of 10 big ass for me, uh, Jewish better. We'll kick it to you first. My brother, what do you got? Yeah, I know it is a big ask at that price tag, right? A hundred percent. But I don't think I can get the dog shot. Uh, he's cutting weight two times. That's a good point. JDM so fadeable. Interesting, interesting. I I get the the you want to take the shot on the large dog. I just think I think JDM's grappling is a little bit better than people are giving him credit for. He was able to get out of these submission attempts, and his scramble ability versus Andre Lusa was good. He's able to get back to his feet. And he's just going to start to put the hands on you. He's going to start to put the pressure just like JDM does every single time. Um, I think they're going to get him a win here, get him on that Sydney card as well, upcoming. And uh, that's what we're going to see here. I don't know what happens. I'm uh, predicting a round two knockout for Jack De La Maddalena in this fight. And we could see some early grappling success for Asil Hafez. And he's definitely alive for that sub in round one. Um, so I think really actually one of another one of my favorite bets on the card you're going to have to wait, though. I, I think Basil, possibly, if he doesn't get put out, could have success early in round one. And then if I'm getting Jack De La Maddalena at a line, like, you know, minus 185, minus 175, I'm going to take a shot at that because I think he's going to win the next two rounds uh, quite handedly. Uh, he's the better fighter overall, and I think he gets the job done here uh, versus Basil Hafez, who's, you know, obviously, yeah, he has to cut the weight twice. But I don't think he's that big of a 170 year as uh, you know at, to start. And on top of that, this guy Basil Hafez now is coming in on what two, three weeks notice. Uh, we know guys generally don't win fights when they come in that way. So this is his way into the UFC. It would be great if he does get the job done. And like you said, he does have the paths. I'm just I'm I'm backing the the guy that I think the UFC wants to get onto this UFC Sydney card, and uh, going with Jack Della. Fair enough, man. You know, I love a good narrative nation play. Um, so thinking about the next step, that's always important. Um, when I'm looking at this though, it is a guy with virtual size parity. You know, he's five years older. Um, he's got a little bit less experience. That's the thing that I don't like older fighter, less experience. Don't really love to see that overall, 
But Jack takes some damage in his fights um, at, at times, especially the earlier fights in his career. He's been knocked out before. So, it's again, it's not like he's a perfect fighter. It's just that he's clearly the more talented fighter. He's young, though, 26. I feel like even if he falls off and loses any of these fights on the come up, he could easily be rebuilt, repackaged, get two, three wins in a row, and he's right back up the card. So at welterweight right now, they're due for turnover. But it's also, you know, they're, they, they've they acknowledged. Um, Mick Maynard, I think it was, had said in an interview um, from Contender Series, like, we think that this is the number one welterweight prospect in all of Australia and New Zealand. So they told you up front, like, this is exactly how good we think this guy is. But that means if you know anything about the UFC, they're also going to try and test him because they like to see these guys go through some tests and prove, okay, we can see you go against a grappler. We see you go against this guy. We see you go against a guy who's tough and gritty from the regional scene. Those kind of things are what they do to check boxes before they send you all the way up the card. Now he's got that co-main event showcase, could have a little bit more pressure on his back, the one-week turnaround, just a few little red flags for me, but certainly from a talent standpoint, no pushing back on Jack. Uh, what do you think, Pepe? Um, I don't know. I I think the one line that was kind of sticking out to me um, is the over one and a half plus 160. Um, just need um, – Hafez to survive seven and a half minutes. Um, and I might, I might take some, uh, stabs on, um, late Della props cause Hafez, um, is kind of gassy. So I don't, I don't see the fight going the full 15 minutes, but I do think it'll go over one and a half. And then I might do some round two and round three props for Jack. Nice. And because of how uh, bullish people are going to be, presumably on the uh, the early finishing equity, as they often are, you might even get decent numbers on the fight ends in round two or ends in round three. Um, so a couple of interesting ways that we could play that. But with that being said, guys, let's close the book on this big favorite co-main event and move to a much more closely lined main event of the evening. Interesting fight here between the preacher's daughter, Holly Holm swirling rumors of a Ronda Rousey uh, return shot down already by the great Ariel Hawani. But um, our girl Chelsea Chandler was, you know, stirring it up a little bit at the press conference, trying to get something going there, uh, trying to create some smoke and some fire. Holly Holm, definitely one of the most marketable women in the UFC. She is much older, 41 years of age here, but she's still been fighting fairly actively for the company. She's been getting after it pretty often. What do you got, Jewish Better? Yo, we got to help my man out here in the chat. He's at McDonald's, he's at the drive-thru, and he needs to know what to get. It's the, it's I, I the 10 piece with the Oreo McFlurry and the medium fry. I mean, keep it simple. Keep it all American, above board. If you're still hungry, you get the McDouble uh, on the side there. You know, make sure you keep it baller on a budget. That'll run you about 10 bones, and, and you'll have a great time. What do you think, Kai? Shout out. Um, but, yeah, to get back to this fight, man, um, on the other side, right, we had talked about Holly Holm a little bit and how she's marketable. She's got the you know support of the fans behind her, all this stuff. She's also a girl that I have faded in the past, right? I thought Ketlin Vieira was the gift of the century. Last time my guy Pepe was on the show, right? Plus 200, I had to take the six-unit stab. If you remember, my man, I took a big shot over one unit on Ketlin Vieira by sub, uh, plus 850. And the reason I took it was because I felt like she was better at grappling than Holly Holm. And if you look at this fight, MBS is all the way down at freaking plus 390 to win by sub. So the bookmaker showing her a lot more respect. And in that fight, Ketlin Vieira almost popped Holly Holm's head off like a pimple, bro. She literally wrapped up that choke and, you know, Holly Holm turned 50 shades of purple, right? And it looked like her head was about to fall off. So 
I don't know how Kathleen Vieira didn't finish that choke. I felt like she had too much respect for Holly Holm as she did too much respect for Misha Tate, but she beat her up. I felt like when they were at distance, she landed the heavier, more impactful strikes. And that's what makes me nervous here because Holly Holm definitely can land more volume. Like all the things that people are talking about with the decision optics and all that stuff, the cage control, pushing her into the fence. I think all that is viable. But I also think that I could see Holly Holm getting hurt in this fight. I could see Holly Holm getting submitted in this fight. So for me, it feels like this fight, if it ends inside the distance, I would probably favor uh, MBS. But I do think Holly Holm has some finishing equity on the mat later on in the fight. If the submissions are gone, if MBS starts to tire out for whatever reason, if she's missing on some of her shots, I feel like that's something interesting. But it's not like she slowed down in the later portions of her fights. Marina Morose, I had noted there, she unanimously won the third round on all the judges' scorecards, on my scorecard as well. So that was a, a little bit scary. But what else did I see in my notes for that fight? In my notes for that fight, it said, MBS is very hittable against boxers. <laughs> that is what I wrote down all those years ago. They put her against Manon Faroe. She did a better job mitigating there, but she got hit with a lot of kicks. And that's Holly Holmes' like backup striking game. So it feels like a weird fight to me. You know, the plus 160 on MBS, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't like keeping a close eye on it. I mean, it, it just feels to me like I would be tempted. If this hits plus 200 or something, like if it continues to run one way, then I would probably have to just buy back reluctantly. But I just don't have a strong enough feel here. I think the, the KO for MBS at plus 1500 is a little bit wide. And I think the late round props for Holly Holmes a little bit wide as well. Um, those are, those are my overall thoughts on this fight, but I actually think it's a compelling enough main event. It's kind of going to let us know where Holly Holmes at MBS a little bit small, but she can grapple. She can strike a little bit too. She could throw a calf kick. She could throw a decent uh, amount of combinations on the feet. She has some power. She's just a little bit slow. So I feel like this is a fight where both women will have chances. You know, I don't think it's going to be one way traffic, but I think Holly Holm is more proven to go all into these longer fights. So. It's a, it's a crapshoot for me, but uh, 41 year olds at minus 175, guys, you, you'll very, very rarely see those on my bet MMA tips, right? It's got to be a goddamn good reason to quote my guy, Clint, uh, with some extra expletives. So, uh, with that being said, Peppy, what do you got here, brother? We had you back for another Holly Home main event. Tell us what's going to happen, my brother. All I got to say is stop Brazil hate. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm backing Buena Silva in this, in this. She's she's one of my favorite fighters. Um, I can't wait to just be screaming at the screen for her to just do something as she's making faces at Holly Holm. Um, but yeah, I had to take um the shot on uh Buena Silva. I, I think it's a good showcase fight for her to um, you know, make another contender in the division. Uh they they certainly need more upper tier contenders and this would certainly put her in that category. Um, and I think her grappling, her grappling is really slick. Her takedowns aren't great. So um, she'll have to find like creative ways to get her down. Um, but even on the feet, um, she is lower volume, but she's going to be landing the much harder shots and she's so damn durable and i just love the way she fights um i've been betting her knockout props for like her past like seven fights and i keep losing on them but i keep betting them because she she's gone so close so many times um one of one of these one of these fights she's gonna get the knockout um 
But yeah, I like her on the money line. I absolutely love it, dude. Sometimes you have to schedule a donation, right? You pick early on in a fighter's career. I'm going to donate every time they fight and eventually it pays off for you, right? For me, it was uh, Derek Brunson. I kept donating on his sub props until he submitted Darren Till at plus 2,900 and then you're a genius, right? It's like, you got to be willing to go down with the ship a few times to hit those big plus money numbers in my view. So nothing wrong with that, man. I think again, 15 to one, I agree with you here. It's completely wide. Um, so I think that, when I look at this fight, both girls have a chance to finish late, but I think MBS has all the finishing equity early. It's a 25-minute fight. It's a long time to be out there at 41 years of age. Uh, Robbie Lawler asked him, right? He was like, no, we're doing less than a minute. Screw this. So unless it's a fight that ends early for Holly Holm, which is something that never happens really, then it's probably going to be a fight where you know MBS looks like she has a chance. So yeah, I'd have to agree. She's the side uh, from a money line standpoint, but do have some narrative nation thoughts on Holly Holm as well. So I'll kick it to my guy, Jewish better. See what you think, brother. Man, I like these Brazilian fighters, man. I like backing them. Like I said before, they're just tough. They're going to fight for your money every single time. And like you said, Holly Holm on the other end is 41 years old. And now you're getting a minus 170 on a girl that everybody knows. She's probably the most popular fighter on this card. People are going to want to back her. The public's going to want to back her. They're going to put her in parlays with their money. I promise you that. She's Holly Holm still at the end of the day. Uh, if anybody, you know, like I said, she's the biggest name on this card and that's why she's in the main event versus a, another lower name fighter like Mara Bueno Silva. Uh, I think in this spot, I'll have to take the Bueno Silva side at the plus money. I think this is closer to a 50, 50 fight and we don't know. Eventually we might see, we haven't really seen any evidence yet, but it's very possible. Holly Holm, like I said, it, it gets exponential at those older ages. So it could be any fight. Doesn't Holly? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I don't know how much you take that into consideration, but I don't think she's beaten a Brazilian yet, if I'm not mistaken. Betchko right knocked out, but other than that, you are correct. Okay. She has lost every other Brazilian, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's a good point in the comments, my man. So I agree with my man Pepe here. I haven't gotten a bet now yet. I just feel like this card, man, is really not about like who's better. It's like they, every single fighter on this card has flaws. This is a shit card, my man. And we've sat here and talked. I enjoyed it every single two hours of this. Uh, but yeah, this is a tough one, my man. I feel like it's kind of just picking who's not as bad rather than who you think is better on this card. Yeah. The things for me uh, about Ketlin Vieira that I loved was number one, it was plus 200. So it was like really, really wide. Again, if this goes to plus 200, they're forcing my hand. Like they're literally making me come to the window. But when you look at this kind of fight, right, she doesn't have the same judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt uh, credentials, as well as the wrestling championships at the local level. Like there was a lot of boxes that Ketlin Vieira checked and she'd had a lot of high level experience, but MBS is so much tougher. And to your point, Pepe, she's so much more durable than Ketlin Vieira. Like Ketlin Vieira, one of the only women to get one punch knocked out in the UFC's history. Right? It's like, uh, so I think that when I look at this kind of fight, I like dangerous women. I like women that can finish. So probably going to have to lean into the underdog or just not get to the window at all here. Um, but for me, another card where not a lot of great fighters, right? It's a lot of volatile fighters, a lot of lower level people. So I'm looking at dogs. I'm looking to pick my shots selectively here throughout the card. But that's the strategy we've been using three weeks in a row, uh, 3-0 and 1 the last four weeks. So it's been a good little run, hoping to keep it going this week. Tricky card uh, for sure. So um, not going to be easy, but hopeful to do it. So, uh, what was, Pepe, um, please. What was um, the narrative um, on Holly Holm that you that you brought up 
Okay, so here's my very quick narrative nation for Holly Holm, right? Holly Holm was brought back for that really easy fight against Kunitskaya. Make her look good. Give her a winnable fight. MBS, girl who's tough, good, skilled, looks good on paper if she gets the win. But she's also a little bit smaller, former 125-pounder, doesn't have the five-round experience. They could potentially rob her on the cards if it gets there like they've done with other Holly Holm victims. But when I look at this kind of fight, I just say to myself, Holly Holm is like friendly with Dana White and like she's got an independent boxing manager, seems to get uh, easier matchmaking at times than a lot of other women. I feel like she probably asked for the Ketlin Vieira fight and then was shocked when she lost. If you know what I mean, like I don't think that she expected to lose that fight. And also she's been in proximity to a title shot for this amount of time. So they have to give her like title-ish level fighters. But here's the, the narrative uh, at the most basic level. You remember after her last fight, she said like, save the kids, man. Like everybody save the kids. And it was like a whole big thing. And people were like uh, fired up on either side. Like, yeah, we do need to save the kids. Or like, how could she say that? Like, don't talk about saving the kids. Do you remember this? It was controversy, right? And controversy creates cash. Last week, it was Trump's at the event and whatever, and, and all, all these kind of things that the UFC does to generate engagement. It doesn't matter if people are pro or con if they're talking about it. And right now, there's a movie that's viral, The Sound of Freedom. It's on everything. People are talking about it. It's on the news. And last time she was out here, she said, save the kids. If she wins this fight, what do you think she's going to say? She's going to say, save the kids, bro. And she's going to have Dana White standing in the back like, like this, smiling like a goofball and all this stuff. Who, by the way, Dana White, who never does anything, uh, you know, for charity or whatever, right? He just randomly, uh, I'm, I'm kidding, right? He does nice things in the community, whatever. But when we're talking about Dana White, right? He goes out there and puts out like a three-minute video on why you should watch this movie last week, the week before Holly Home fights. So I, as a, as a resident of Narrative Nation, will always bring up these things up, right? I always look at every possible angle. That for me was a little concerning because my gut lean, if you guys go back and watch Liam's first look, I talked about MBS and how I thought could be a live underdog situation. Then I saw that narrative and I was like, fuck, I could be wrong here. Now I'm stuck in a position where the line continues to move towards home. I don't really buy it. I get why she's marketable. I get if Ronda Rousey is coming back, why that fight is like literally big business compared to peanuts for this other fight. But I also see your point, Peppy. Uh, Pantoja has 50,000 Instagram followers. Moreno's got 2 million. Sometimes it's about building somebody up by having them beat somebody who's a star. And in this case, Holly Holmes is a star and she's 41. So does she have five more left, right? The overall narrative, I think, favors the younger fighter here at Plus Money. But that is my only counter narrative. That's why I wanted to lay it out for you. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't want to close the show out before I gave my completely wingnut, uh, you know, lunatic theory. This is, guys, this is when you look at this shit every week, you look at everything. You look at every single angle, the narratives, the market, every piece of the pie. So there it is. Whether you like it or you don't, that's the narrative nation uh, for Holly Holm. Yeah, it's kind of a tough stylistic matchup for uh, Buena Silva, but she just has to be the side for me because of the finishing upside and um, the damage, the damage upside. And, um, just being so much younger and she's at ATT now. She looks like she's in much better shape. Totally agree, man. And to your point, um, the submission line is all the way down at like plus 390. The KO props only plus 1500. This is a women's fight. Those kind of things suggest to me that there's some strength for her uh, ITD narrative. So for me, uh, I'm not 
all the way in on my own Holly Home narrative, just sharing it with the people. But yeah, if you see me get to a money line in this fight, guys, I can assure you it will be the underdog. Uh, but don't be surprised if you see props in either direction here. I think props might be the way that I target this fight at the end of the day because, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of books coming to market here. This is going to have the most uh, attention on the money line, but I do think there could be some value to be had. So with that being said, guys, drop a like on the like button. Like our guy, Alex says, appreciate everybody rocking with us. Appreciate our two great guests. These are two guys that have very good third party track records, guys. It's easy to come on and, and just say things. But it's another thing to put your money where your mouth is and also to go to the well each week. I've seen these guys' tickets. They really bet on MMA. They really take it serious, and they have great opinions. They made for great conversations. So huge thank you to these guys. Their information is in the description below. I hope that you guys will show love and support. Make sure you follow them on social media. And if you guys don't mind, let the people know where they can find more from you, starting with our guy, Pepe. Thank you for coming back on, brother. And next time, we'll make sure it is not a Holly Homemade event by Hook or by Crow. Hell yeah, man. Thanks for having me on again, Liam. Um, hopefully there's another uh, Brazilian beating um, Holly this weekend. Uh, but yeah, just I think um, I just follow, follow me on Twitter. You put my uh, Twitter in the description, right? That's Indeed. all I'm doing. Yeah, I love I love chatting fights with people. DM me whenever. Absolutely love it. And guys, truly humble guy. Very sharp. I would follow him on Bet MMA as well. Um, just a, a beacon of knowledge. One of the best openers betters in the space as well. If you look consistently at his closing line value. So uh, shout out there. Jewish better. Please let the people know where they right. can find you. Don't hate on the man. Like I saw some hate in the comments. Uh, you know, you can't give out this play. No, that's not true. My man got in on the line. It's third party track. And, uh, you know, that's part of the game because the line necessarily wasn't going to move his way every single time. So that's part of the game. You got to um, you got to beat the line movement. So shout out to my man, Pepe. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate talking to you, getting some insight as well. Uh, I love the derive back and forth argument because uh, I thought you guys both made very good points for each side here. And uh, this is a tough card, my man. So any of these predictions, I think this is very volatile. Uh, we could see an array of outcomes on this card. I think this could be a, even an interesting card for like DFS big tournament lineups. And I may take a look at that this week. Just take some type of long shot because this is my favorite card for betting. But um, I'm looking forward to the next card, UFC London. That's a good card. I would love to get back on here for that one. A lot of bets that I'm looking at for that one. Um, but there's still some value here. And I think we, we talked about for two hours on this one uh, and, and got some good opinions. So. Uh, very interesting, um, and I'm excited for this card still. Nonetheless, if there's UFC on a Saturday, I don't care who's fighting. I'm going to watch it regardless, So, and I'm Ben. Absolutely, and this channel is going to be here each and every week. If it's a UFC card, we're going to be breaking it down head to toe, trying to break down every matchup on the card, put you guys in a position to succeed. So my guests have been here for quite some time. I appreciate their time. I'm going to cut them loose, and then we will close up. Uh, here. So thank you guys very much for being on. Make sure you show love and support to the guests and we're going to cut them loose so they could get on out of here. Thank you, gentlemen. Now, guys, 
want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in to watch the show today. God bless you all. Appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, you can go ahead and fire them off in the chat. Again, a huge thank you to our guys who joined the show. Our guy, Pepe, hasn't been on in a while, but very sharp guy, extremely talented. If you go look at the work on BetMMA.tips, it truly speaks for itself. And our guy, Jewish Better, becoming a frequent guest of the show. You guys know him. You guys enjoy him on the show. We've had a lot of positive comments and feedback as well. So appreciate everybody that shows love. In terms of the information for me, guys, I release my bets, uh, my information throughout the week, as well as my tape study. I have very in-depth notes uh, on a lot of fighters on the card. Um, you know, in terms of the fighter profiles, uh, probably 15, 16 profiles for the fighters on this card. Many more, especially this is a very low-level card. So I actually have less tape than normal. Um, but when you look at the pay-per-view last week, 100 plus pages of notes on the fighters on the card uh, and much more. So if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff, like really in-depth uh, notes, information, uh, high-level betting materials, world-class betting materials, in my view, that information is in the description box below. That's whether you want to tail my plays or go against them with a, a large bevy of information. I don't think that there's anybody else that has the same level uh, of information in terms of detailed tape studies of fighters. So that's my unique selling point. I hope that you guys, uh, if you're interested, will check that out in the description below. Otherwise, guys, I'm just going to ask if you could subscribe to the channel, if you could drop a like on the video, I really appreciate when you do put a lot of time, effort and energy in uh, to researching the fights and also to putting together this content to bringing on great guests that you guys know and love. So appreciate you guys for the support. Thank you to everybody who drops comments on the show. Try and respond to those each week as well. So if you guys have questions, comments, concerns that we didn't get to on the show, make sure you drop those in the description box below. Last thing that, or excuse me, the comment section below, the last thing that I will leave you guys with is in the description box below, the Spotify link, guys. If you guys are looking for audio content, every show that I put out on YouTube like this, you can find as an audio file as well. Liam Picks Fights Presents on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if it's not on a platform that you listen to, let me know so I can get that fixed up for you by next time. But Thank you guys all so much for being here. It's truly my honor to talk to you guys about these fights every week, to bring you guys these conversations. And I hope you come back and join us next week because we're going to have all the same fun again. God bless and take care. Good luck on your bets. See you, everybody.